0: Oh, it's another Monday. College football, NFL, and half the country is mad and their team stinks. Terrible. Worthless. Bums. I quit. I give up on the season. It's over. I do enjoy reading those on Sunday evenings and Saturday evenings of all the fans who can no longer stomach it after one week and two weeks of college and NFL football. It is great. I, myself, BJ, have fallen into those traps and those pits of despair So that's why I find it comical at the the level at which we ride the roller coaster uh, each and every week. And our team is not... If I saw it once yesterday, Ben, I saw it a hundred times. NFL fans, we're going 0-17. It's just book it. (laughs) It's terrible. Can't beat anybody. Uh, But no, uh, we'll get to that coming up here on the show. Falcons and Jags obviously off to a rough start. We'll also talk uh, Georgia football. Brooks Austin joins us every Monday. Will join us here on the program as well. We'll get the uh, the latest there from Georgia after another dominating performance against UAB. Now they dive into SEC play with South Carolina coming up this weekend. Vanderbilt on the horizon. So you figure a couple more weeks of solid play out there as well. And in the final hour, we'll get to uh, Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll talk. Uh, uh, SEC football with him. Also, what we did last week, really fun. We're going to continue it each and every Monday. The good, the bad, and the ugly from the weekend uh, as well. So, a lot to get to. But first, guys, let's start there in Athens, Georgia. New JT Daniels wasn't going to play uh, on Saturday. Was it going to be Carson Beck? A lot of talk right up to the the kickoff that it was going to be uh, Stetson Bennett. It was, and Stetson Bennett, 10 of 22 288 yards, and five touchdowns. So when you throw a touchdown on um, essentially every other pass and average close to 30 yards a completion, I would say you played pretty well.
1: And top 10 for career touchdown passes. So one of the most productive passers uh, high school football in the state of Georgia has ever seen. I thought last year had some, had some really good moments. Think about the win over Auburn where he started and had the great touchdown pass and was efficient in that game. Uh, he was great. He was great, gave the team a spark, and did, did something we haven't seen. Made history uh, in Athens over the weekend with those five touchdown passes in the first half.
2: Georgia, Georgia, should really, really appreciate Stetson Bennett, not just for what he did this weekend, but what he was able to do for them in 2020. If Stetson Bennett is not on the roster for this for this uh, Georgia Bulldog team, where would they have been in 2020? When I mean, you look at it, you know, you look at the fact that before the season, I mean, you had different guys vying to be the starting quarterback. They they choose to move on to different things. J T. Daniels gets uh, he comes out of the transfer portal. He's hurt. So Stetson had to step in. I mean, I understand this whole Carson Beck situation, Kevin and BJ, when obviously he would be the guy that you would think would get the start, but Stetson is clutch because he's always ready. Forget what Stetson Bennett did this weekend. They were going to win the game. I mean, UAB was you know overmatch. But Stetson Bennett went out there and kept you on schedule. That is what a backup quarterback is supposed to do. A backup quarterback is supposed to be better than a starter? No. A backup quarterback is supposed to go out there and look like a starter? Yes, and that's what Stetson did. And I think that, you know when J.T. Daniels does come back, not because you know the offense was in rhythm. Now Georgia still is not running the football, not because they don't. I don't think it's because they can't. I, I just think they don't have to, right now. But yeah, Georgia, you should real you should feel real good about a guy like Stetson Bennett because he never made any waves. He just go out there and do what he's asked to do. As you mentioned, B.J. I go I, I go back to the I go back to the my, my former teammate Ben Hartstock, uh, old Adage. When you're six four, six five, you have to prove you cannot play. When you are six feet, you have to prove you can. And Stetson Bennett has proven that he can. Most people cannot step in and do what he's done at the university that he did it at. Most guys can step in and play, but with everything that Georgia has on the line this year. Stetson Bennett is keeping you ahead of schedule because, you know, I don't think it's going to be any type of, you know, nonsense coming out as far as like the quarterback situation. JT Daniels is the guy. But when you got a guy like Stetson Bennett for which you know if you need to bring in the closer, you bring him in. So I was very, very impressed with Stetson Bennett. I'm not asking him to be a world beater. But you threw 12 passes. And for almost three hundred yards, I don't care who you did that against. That is about as impressive as, as it get. And the man did it in two quarters. Shout out to the man, Stetson Bennett. Uh, absolutely,
1: hey, Kevin. Big Kevin. Let me add this just real quick because you mentioned the uh, you know the passes had five touchdown passes on twelve attempts. I did some research on the Sports Reference database, and I believe Stetson Bennett is the first quarterback this millennium. So since two thousand, with five touchdown passes on twelve or fewer throws. So if you're looking for a modern parallel to what Stetson Bennett did on Saturday, it doesn't exist. Again, uh, the first quarterback this millennium with five touchdown passes on 12 or fewer throws. If I did my uh, research right there with the, with the numbers, but just, it was, I mean, Kevin, it was, it was, it was really remarkable.
0: Yeah. Look, look, I, I, I tend to agree with Ben. I, I know people were uh, not a lot, but some people said, is there quarterback contract? I mean, he looked really good again, would Stetson Bennett have been 10 of 12 for 288 versus Clemson? Not the way Clemson was playing defense in week one. I mean, Georgia's defense playing uh, tremendous as well. So, look, I, I, I think if had, had it been LSU or had it been Alabama, Auburn, whoever, I think JG Daniels probably plays. Stetson Bennett, a guy that's been around the program, knows the system, uh, comes in, and as Ben said, it was ready to play. Steps right in, and you don't miss a beat. And I think played the type of game that you would expect – Georgia to have against teams like UAB. Now UAB is a solid team. Again, I put everything in perspective. UAB is a solid team. Are they going to go to a bowl game? Probably. Are they contending their conference? Probably. Should the number two team in the country beat them like a drum? Yes, they should. And, and that's what happened. Uh, and, and again, I think he looks spectacular. I don't think you're going to see a lot of performances like that in college football where you just come in and uh, you're just on fire uh, like that as well. Now, Again, a lot of football left to play. We'll see, but to me, I I think way too early to be saying there's any kind of controversy about this or that. I mean, JT Daniels has played one game. Georgia is 1-0. Stetson Bennett has played one game, and Georgia is 1-0. And they're against vastly different opponents. That being said, I I think of that meme where the guy points to his head and like, ah, smart, you don't have to score a lot of points when you don't give up a lot of points. And so far, the Georgia defense has given up zilch uh, in the end zone, in two games, they gave up a field goal, and I believe the only points that UAB got were on a pick-six late in the ballgame. So that Georgia defense, uh, what uh, my math is not great, is what, one and a half points a game? Not too shabby.
1: Well, I, it would it be would it be 5 points a game was it 3 and 7 and that's 10 divided by 2 Well
0: no but it's a pick six by UAB so the defense didn't actually give okay, that yeah, up. yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, total. Yeah. So I, I'm talking about I, the
0: actual when the defense is on the field they've given gotcha. up three points.
1: Here's my question for you because because you have the uh, you have the sense of perspective and you're able to kind of balance out what's happening now versus what has happened over time. Are we looking at the foundational pieces of maybe a generational defense? And before people go, "Wait a second, it's too early." I agree it's too early, but you also have to appreciate that what they did in week 1 was about as good of a big game performance defensively as we've ever seen, right? I mean, DJ Uwiyangalae, Clemson, the playmakers, Justin Ross, they get 3. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a defense that did it in the brightest spotlight against the best of the best outside of Alabama. I mean, do either of you think we could be looking at one of the best defenses we've seen in recent college football?
2: I I think so. But BJ, I I wouldn't give us so much credit. I don't think it would get started this year. wasn't only a couple of years removed from Georgia going like the whole year without giving up a rushing touchdown. So this is, this was already in the making, but unfortunately when you start talking about generational defense and offenses, you got to finish the job. Like, I, and 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 that's that's th- I always judge the best teams on were you the last team standing. I know that's I know that I know I probably shouldn't do that, but I mean I mean and obviously BJ, I'm talking about you know how great those Miami defenses was when well, they won a netty in 2001. When up when you think listen and I and I hate to compare it to it, but this is the easy way to do it. When you start talking about what Bob Stoops only only freaking national championship, his defense was lights out, you know, in that game. So. For me, they got to finish the job because when you when you when you are generational, you know, a potential generational uh, defensive team like George is doing, you got to finish it because if not, it's going to be a lot of guys getting drafted, a lot of recognition. But unfortunately, do you run out of gas when you play that type of because see, you exert a lot of energy and your reputation's on the line. I don't want to give up a touch. It's like an NFL defense when a player got you know he's. 60 yards away from 2,000. I don't want to be the team that gives up to 60. So I think they got. I think they got good as a shot as any because a lot of those guys have played have played behind some really really good players. And going into this season, they will talk, oh, the front seven, the front seven, the front seven. Well, Dave Morton lived up to it, and dare I say that secondary? They look just as good. Yeah, I think has looked uh,
0: very good. I think I agree with Ben. Uh, could it be? Yes, but I hate crowning somebody something before they've gotten there. Again, we are at the beginning stages of a. Marathon of a season, obviously. So we're on, if you're running the 26 point, whatever, the 26.2, we're at like mile three uh, of, of that. I think you've got a little ways to go to, to finish that deal. It looks very good uh, against the uh, team that's supposedly going to contend for a, a national championship like yourself. It was very good. Now, I think what separates them is, and they, I guess, answered that somewhat this week, is can they play up to that level? Week in and week out. You have South Carolina and Vanderbilt the next couple of weeks. And those certainly aren't going to be teams that are going to push you. I I think because of their dynamic offense. I I think uh, if if Vanderbilt scores more than 10, it would be a miracle that Vanderbilt scores more than 10. And I don't even know what the game plan is going to be. Probably doesn't matter. Uh, South Carolina, a team that, again, ran it down and kicked a field goal with no time left to beat East Carolina a team that is struggling for offensive identity with uh, Shane Beamer, even though they are 2-0. and uh, They have a, a, a guy who wasn't expected to even suit up playing quarterback for them uh, right now. How does that fare against I, – I think the next two weeks will be like, can you just put forth an effort that's championship-worthy in a game where you probably could sit every single starter on the team and still win the football game? That's what I'm looking for when you talk about uh, that Georgia defense uh, when, it, when it comes to especially these next two games.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also want to take a second to appreciate what we saw on Saturday just overall because, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of commentary that says, ah, yeah, it's UAB and we're already talking about Florida or we're already talking about Auburn. And when you open up with a game like you had against Clemson, I appreciate that. But you look around college football, I mean, even for dominant teams – To have a performance like Georgia had on Saturday is really impressive. You know, uh, Notre Dame almost lost to Toledo. Cincinnati struggled. Alabama didn't look necessarily great against Mercer. Uh, Of course, Florida State looked terrible, got beat by Jacksonville State. Uh, So to play a a team that is probably going to be a bowl team, like you said, Kevin, UAB was one of five teams in FBS college football to have a shutout in week one, by the way. They had a shutout. I believe, against Jacksonville State uh, in week one. So this is a good team. To beat them 56-7, to that's a sign of a great team because we see a lot of teams, been that can play up to the moment. Can you play? You always hear about the trap game or the letdown game. Didn't have your starting quarterback. Stetson was spectacular, and you absolutely dominated like you should. It was a really good performance and a good sign
2: for Georgia. But I think both teams did what they were supposed to do. Good is good until it go up against great. Like, UAB is a good school but you but it's who you go up against. I mean, the difference between good and great is executing and how you look executing. When you look at Georgia, that is the Kirby Smart effect. Nobody in that on, on that team can get comfortable. Kirby Smart said, "You know why I don't feel pressure cuz I put it on my players." And they going to they unleash it on the guys they play. That's what great teams do. My coach going to say, "I'm going to put the pressure on them," and they go, and you're going to feel the pressure that I put on them. Georgia did, Georgia Georgia is not playing down because it's UAB. UAB, UAB could have played the game of their life, and they would have got smoked. It would not have mattered on Saturday. That's a team that's used to being – that's almost there every year compared to a team that's still trying to maintain, you know, uh, you know, getting back to bowl games or in their conference. So, yeah, Georgia did what you're supposed to do. Stetson stepped in and didn't miss the beat. That's what you're supposed to – and like I said, this Georgia defense. Oh, my freaking God. I mean, these dudes are out here making it look easy. And dare I say, by the time they play – better competition they're gonna they gonna have that confidence because greatness mixed with confidence that's a that's a that's a recipe for disaster for the for opposing team we've got more to come here on three and out we'll talk more
0: college football the NFL was back in a big way speaking of recipes for disaster uh, we probably had one with Atlanta uh, there on Sunday we'll get to that and more when we return it's three and out on the Southern pigskin radio network NFL opening weekend not good. If you're the Falcons and the, uh, the Jags. Let's start there, uh, Atlanta. Ben, I talked all last week. I said, listen, Arthur Smith, maybe he's the, 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 the mad genius here. But you're a new system on a team that was not good a season ago. You're coming in. You lost Julio Jones. You have questions about your team. And your quarterback, left tackle, running back, uh, several of your star wide receivers, Did not play at all in the preseason. Kyle Pitts played and caught one ball in one game for about three plays, and then he's out. And I said, okay, I'm willing to – I think it might be a problem, but, again, let's see how it looks in week one. Well, week one they scored six points. None in the second half. Two field goals. Are we rethinking the fact that maybe some of these guys maybe should have played? And I say this, there's several instances around the league of teams that took it light in preseason – uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't play. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but seven padded practices for the Green Bay Packers all preseason. Starters of significance did not play, and they got shellacked by the Saints. Falcons scored six points. Six.
2: Cause for concern? Ben? Yes, yes. It's a, hu- <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a huge cause for concern. This, this is why. Okay. Atlanta. And and Philly both had two brand-new coaches, right? Couldn't tell Philly had a brand-new coach. The problem started with Atlanta is when Arthur Smith be saying, hey, man, listen, we know what we're doing. No, 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 Arthur. You ain't never been a head coach before. When you think you're going to reinvent, you know, the wheel when it comes to the NFL, you get embarrassed. Atlanta might be the worst red zone uh, offense in the, in the NFL because they was in the red zone a lot yesterday, a lot. Came, came away with six points. Kyle Pitts, I can't really tell how they're going to use him. Right? Can't really tell. Then, we don't. He, so you couldn't run the ball. Matty Ice running for his life. Well, Ice, Matt Ryan had 164 Matty yards. Ice. Pass. Matty Ice, in year 13-14, he dove to get a first down. Matty Ice dove when he scrambled. the That's how desperate he was to keep a drive going. Then, we ain't even got to the defense yet. But, but since we are on it, BJ and Kevin, let's talk about that. Pass rush. Not there. Running game. I mean, stop the run. Wasn't there. BJ. We talked about the secondary. Can't cover guys. Jalen Hurst was out there looking like a seasoned vet. They tried to throw the kitchen sink at him. Couldn't get there on the blitz. Then they couldn't. He was getting to his checkdown. Deion Jones. Listen to me. I love Debo, but Debo was non-existent yesterday. So for me, it just goes back to listen. Overcoaching, wasting time. When you think you when you think you're smarter than everybody else. You know, the NFL is a very, very humbling game. The Eagles beat the Brakes off of Atlanta yesterday. It, that, that, that was not a game. I don't care about how the, the stats end up at the end of the game. Matty Ice will not make it a full season. You know how I know? Because he was diving for first downs. Matty Ice, one of the slowest quarter – he's not athletic running, trying to get outside the pocket. So, for me, BJ, what I saw yesterday was a team that was overwhelmed, and and that's how the first team looked. Basically, Arthur Smith said – if we if, if our starters get hurt and our second stringers got to get in, it would have been even worse. So for one, I know it's one game, and I know the Falcons gonna probably end up going to sixteen and one. That's what I told my mama. They are gonna go sixteen and one. That, that was that was ugly from the opening kickoff all day yesterday. Well, they look really bad. And, uh, Kevin, to your
1: question about starters or or prominent players playing more in the preseason, I mean, maybe. But I think some of the concerns that we saw team-wide with Atlanta in the preseason we saw in the regular season. You know, an inability to throw the football, even with Matt Ryan in there. Uh, Really, really inconsistent play at best along the offensive line. I mean, you got beat up front, you know, Regularly, and you can't do much when you do that. A defense that doesn't make many big plays, and then you think about just the logistical organization of of Atlanta. I mean, listen to this stat. Listen to these comparisons. You had 136 passing yards. Okay, you had 124 rushing yards. Okay, you had 99 penalty yards. You almost had as 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 many penalty yards as passing yards and rushing yards. That is very concerning, and I think. I do think the passing game when the offensive line improves, Matt Ryan's earned the benefit of the doubt. You're talking about Ridley Engage, Gage and Pitts, and Kyle Pitts is going to find his way and he's going to be a star. We all know that. But when you look at this defense, is there confidence that it's going to take a major step forward and be a playmaking defense? We didn't see it on Sunday. When you look at this offensive line, is there confidence that you're going to move forward and be a solid group up front? Not based on what we saw on Sunday, So I think there is reason for concern. I know it's one game, and there's the old adage, right? You're never as good or as bad as you looked in your last game. I think there are some reasons for concern here for Atlanta. And, Ben, you're right. Kevin, they got absolutely dominated.
0: And you got Tampa Bay coming up this weekend, so that's not any better. I I think you look at a couple of things, and uh, could it be rust from not playing a whole lot? I mean, outside of— The crossover scrimmages, I don't know how much live action some of these guys were getting in preseason. But if you're going to tell me that not playing them was better than playing them at least a little bit, I mean, Matt Ryan completed 21 passes. 21. 21 of 35 on the surface, you would say, okay, not a bad day throwing the football. 164 yards is bad. Mm. Your leading rusher was a former wide receiver in Cordell Patterson. Mike Davis, who you had the utmost confidence in, he's our bruiser back. He's the guy that's going to be uh, our Derrick Henry, a smaller Derrick Henry, but our guy that's going to pound it and, and help us wear down defensive fronts. 49 yards rushing on 15 carries by uh, rushing for the day. He was your worst running back in terms of yards per carry. Your starting running back. Calvin Ridley, five catches for 51 yards. That was your leading receiver uh, on the day. Didn't really go down the field. Ten yard average on on some of those. I, I just look at it and say, look, where you rested, guys. It seems to be none of the guys who didn't play had a great day in week number one, and that kind of looked like preseason game number three uh, to me. Is it going to be better against Tampa Bay? It might be, but I mean, that's the defending champs. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a, that's a whole other set of issues, uh, Ben. So. Look, I, I, do, do I think this is indicative of the Falcons' offense? No, and I, I try to guard against the overreaction. But my kind of take all last week was, if you're going to sit everybody, you can't come out and have a, throw a clunker out there. And what happened? I get it. Philly's good on defense. I'm sorry, you have a former MVP that didn't even throw for 170 yards in a game, in a league, where you have multiple guys throwing for four and 5,000 yards a season, and two hundo is kind of a bad day in the NFL if you throw for 200 yards. He threw for 160, 164 and no touchdowns. That is as bad as it could possibly be if you're Atlanta. And that's, I, I, again, offensive line issues, whatever, I get it. 164 yards, unacceptable for a team that has Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, uh, et cetera. cetera. I think you have Jalen Mayfield, maybe a guy playing a new position. That didn't help when you're going up against one of the best D-tackles in the league in game number one. I know that's probably not going to get any easier as you go, but still, one of the top D-tackles you threw a guy out there, never started at guard. Look, there's a number of things you can point out. None of them are good, and I just think if you had to go back and do it over again, maybe Arthur Smith would lie and, and, and not be truthful. I don't think he plays it the same way, Ben. I, and, again, I know as a pro, you've said, look, I need a couple of plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about in Major League Baseball. Freddie Freeman's like, I don't have to play every game, but I at least need 30, 35 hacks against real pitching to kind of get myself ready for the season. And Matt Ryan, and I get why you don't want to do it, he's your franchise quarterback. But took no live reps in a game, a preseason game, against somebody else not wearing a Falcons helmet to try to see, you know what, maybe this play, if we call it in this situation, not good. Because we can't block it. Nope. We are gonna wait till we get out there in week one and see what happens. I, I, I to me, I, I, I put that a little bit on rookie head coaching. I'm not in the fire Arthur Smith. I just think the way the preseason was handled, not good for a team trying to change their identity, change the way they play, and show everybody they don't suck. Uh, coming out of, uh, what,
2: a 4-5 or win season. Not good. Nick Sirianni, he protected his quarterback, and his quarterback is in his second year. You talk about uh, Matty Ice uh, throwing 35 passes. Guess who else threw 35? That would be Jalen Hurst. You said Matty Ice had 164 yards. Jalen Hurst had 264. That's a hundred million yards. The difference is Jalen Hurst had three touchdowns, zero picks. Jalen Hurst has a running back, playing running back, not a receiver, playing running back. See, the thing about Arthur Smith is, listen, arrogance gets you beat. You got to understand that, look, you warranted. A, no, 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 let me say it the right way. You handed the ball off to Derek Henry enough that gives you an opportunity to be the head coach in Atlanta. That's smart football. A, that is smart I football. I mean, if One I had a linebacker is, playing a running back, I would have the ball. Your, your top running back is all a 6'2, 6'3, and he's wearing number 84. I love the number, but he plays receiver. <laughs> this is the thing. If you don't throw a receiver the ball, but you're handing the ball off, you showing where his skill set is. But once again, just say Atlanta did play good on offense. Did you see the run defense for Atlanta? They could not, they could not stop the run all day long. So, I, it is one game, but you don't get dramatically different from week one to week two. You had three. You get listen. You went from having a whole offseason to prepare for the Eagles. Now you get three days to prepare for the Bucks. That's all you get. Three. That's it. Monday you watch the tape. Tuesday you off. Wednesday the game playing. Thursday short yardage go. I mean Thursday uh, third and third. I mean second and third. Uh, long fourth. And on Friday you do a uh, short yardage goal line. That's it. So, last time I checked, JPP and Shaq Barrett, they coming. Those guys can rush. You still got Levante there. They're probably licking their chops after watching that tape. It's going to be a long (laughs) – it's going to be a long season because Matty Ice is running for his life. That is not a recipe for success. But, BJ, like I said, Arthur Smith, I know it's only one game, but, you know, Kyle Pitts had four catches for 31 yards, and and now he's trying to go crazy. Oh, get off the field. So, it's – it is only one game; they can get better. But who gonna get better with the defense? Because that secondary, they looked they looked lost out there. Uh, and it was Jalen Rieger and freaking Devonta Smith out there running ragged on that young secondary.
1: Yeah, I understand that a lot of the frustration, given the performance yesterday, is on offense. Because Kevin, like you said, you have an MVP, you have stars who are playmakers. Uh, you would like to think you have some guys you 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 can believe in and trust along the offensive line, and you didn't score a touchdown. And in the red zone, you were terrible. So I I understand the frustration there. But when I think about this team macro, my questions are largely what they've been the last couple of years, guys. This team had one sack on Sunday. This team had three pass deflections on Sunday. This team had zero turnovers forced on Sunday. Even if we assume Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts get better, and that may be tough with the offensive line, are you making plays defensively? Like you've said a long time, Kevin, you don't have to be a top-ten unit, but you can't be a bottom-five unit, and you got to make some plays, and we just did not see that yesterday.
0: We've got more to come as far as that goes. We'll talk more NFL Jaguars, the debut of Trevor Lawrence. People are already looking at Urban Meyer saying, did he game plan appropriately for week number one? We'll get to that. Brooks Austin will join us coming up at the top of next hour. We'll take three because of that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're here from Brooks Austin coming up in just a little bit. He'll join us top of next hour talking Georgia football from Dogs Daily on SI.com. So, with that being said, we'll go ahead and take three right now here on Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Made sure our guy PJ had enough time to uh, get us up and cooking. Take one. We asked it last week, so we might as well ask it again while it's still uh, relevant. Will Georgia give up an offensive touchdown this week? Because they have yet to do it. Through the first two games, they have South Carolina upcoming this weekend.
1: Yeah, good question. And uh, you reminded me in the opening segment, of course, that seven from UAB, a pick six. So you're talking about a defense that not only dominated Clemson in a way that I have not seen, but maintained it from week one to week two. And I just, I don't know how you attack Georgia. Uh, and and at some point, you're going to give up some big plays, but they control the line of scrimmage. The edge rushers, Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, are kind of the perfect complement to Jordan Davis in the middle. You're you're experienced. You have great depth. Uh, we've seen guys make plays in the secondary. Uh, it's, it's, it's a complete defense. It's a balanced defense. You know, you have some defenses where it's kind of a risk-reward defense, right? They give up big plays. They get some turnovers. They get some sacks. You have other defenses that are sort of bend but don't break. They'll give up 400 yards, but they will not give up four or five touchdowns. And I don't, I don't know the key to moving the football consistently, or even getting a big play or two against Georgia. So talented. Well coached, well positioned. I at this point and look, Kevin Harris is is one of the best backs in the country. I know South Carolina hasn't been great offensively, but you look at their passing game. I don't think you expect much production there. They scored twenty against East Carolina. So at this point, until I see it, I'm going to say Georgia keeps people out of the end zone.
2: I'll go yes. I mean, I think sometimes uh, when you start looking at how great a defense is, sometimes you know we we understand that. What what if what if Georgia? What if what if South Carolina gets a short field? What if what if uh? You know, if JT Daniels or Stetson have been in plays, they fumble. You know, uh, and maybe South Carolina don't have to go as far. Sometimes, you know, when you look at how great a defense is, you got to go back to each each possession. Each possession is not going to be your best possession. South Carolina can come out with a pretty good possession, end up getting down the field or have a short field uh, that helps them get in the end zone. But what what Georgia is doing, uh, BJ historically, I mean, it's up there with some of the greatest to ever do it, and it's a prideful thing for them. I mean, the identity the the identity of the team. Uh, it's definitely the entire team, but the way Kirby Smart played defense when he was there and how he looks at defense is definitely, you know, uh, you know, resonating throughout this entire defense of, uh, you know, this defensive uh, ball club. I just think that when you look at Georgia and what they bring to the table, that front seven is about as dominant. As against Jordan Davis, I mean, you, I mean, the center got to have nightmares knowing that Jordan Davis is going to be over you every single play, which is going to eliminate you in the progression. But yeah, I do think they'll give up an offensive touchdown. It has less to do with how great they are and more to do with the pride of the team they play in South Carolina. I don't think it's going to be much of a game, but I do think that offense is going to do all they can to get in the end zone, so I would go with yes.
0: I don't know. If it doesn't happen this week, I don't see Vanderbilt touching the end zone in two, in two weeks, so... Uh, going to be interesting to uh, to watch there. All right, take two. This is a very interesting question. What is the criteria in your estimation for storming the field? Saw it this week. Arkansas beating Texas in a uh, big game. We've also seen it with Kansas, just winning a game uh, in in football. What's the criteria for storming the field? It's tough to be consistent, right? because we all can think
1: about potential games or games in the past and say, yes, you win that game, you do it. And, and obviously you want everybody to be safe. And you wanna keep the, you know, make sure the player, everybody's safe, but when you see it and when you're a part of it, it's very special. I've been in a stadium, granted I was, this was back in grade school, but in 96, I was in Tallahassee, uh, Florida, Florida State. Florida was number one in the country. Florida State was number two. Florida State won a close game. The fans ran on the field tore the goalpost down and you think about this you might go oh wow they beat the number one team in the country yes but florida state had just won a national championship three years prior so florida state was a pretty big you know national favorite and you wonder if you kind of draw it to now if alabama plays lsu and lsu's number one and alabama's number three do they rush the field if auburn beats alabama in the iron bowl and they're at home do they rush the field i think it's circumstantial I think it kind of de- depends on the hype. You know, that 96 Florida-Florida State game, Danny Werfel and Warwick Dunn and Bowden and Spurrier, there was so much hype and buildup. It was one of, one of the – I know we have a game of the century every year, Kevin, but it was one of those game of the century games. And I think the way the game finished, there was just such emotion that it that it happened. Uh, I, I think if Alabama were to rush the field, even in a situation where – They're number three, let's say, and LSU's number one or Texas A&M's number one. I just think given that you've dominated college football in a way that's unparalleled, I think that would feel a little off base. But could I see LSU rushing the field if they beat Alabama, even though they won the national title two years ago? Yeah. Um, Clemson kind of lets people on the field uh, regardless of the situation. Ohio State, maybe in the right set of circumstances, but I think it depends on a lot of factors, but I could see it pretty much anywhere except Alabama right now.
2: This is about the fans. And we always talk about, you know, how much the fans play a role in these games. We, t- I mean, Kevin, you talked about how, you know, at certain, certain, at certain places, if the fans get rocking, that's really, really an advantage for, you know, for the home team. But sometimes you storm the field. Bigger than just the fact that you beat a big team, that's are frust- you letting frustration out. Some of these teams ain't really had nothing, you know, to ride home. If you Arkansas, right? Arkansas is saying, look, I get t- we're bottom feeders in the freaking SEC West. Texas is about to be a newcomer. So let's welcome them to the SEC. We tired of thinking that we're not a good program because y'all are basing our program on what goes on at LSU, Auburn, AM, and freaking Alabama. That's ridiculous. So if you're talking about what what constitutes, it, it's really dependent on the fans. The fans are walking in the game, saying, hey, we win today, I'm telling you right now." And think about this: if if the fans start jumping on the field, you as a fan, you got to go out there. There is no, we, no, everybody's coming this way, so you you might you ain't you ain't getting out, you know. So I, I I think I think sometimes it's just frustration, in our mind, in our you know, in our mid in our late thirties, early forties minds, right? We it that's ridiculous. Well, how old are we? Like. When's the last time we told our kids, turn that music down? It's happening. Our age is the crep up on us, BJ. But the Yankees, they pop bottles at the playing game. We're like, that's embarrassing. No, 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 no. You have to celebrate these moments. And if you're a fan, right? Because I, I look at it this way. If you're a fan, you go to school. You go to a, you, 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 you know you you go to a school because hopefully they got a good football team. But isn't that a memory that lasts forever? Man, remember when we stormed the field? Most most fans go to school. They ain't gonna get to storm no field. So BJ and Kevin, don't think Alabama is exempt. Okay, they ain't up there saying we don't do that here. Yeah, you do. You just ain't had a reason to do it because <laughs> we beat up on everybody. But. I know, we're gonna, I know we're gonna talk about Florida, Alabama more during, you know, during the week. If Florida beats Alabama and they storm the field, you know, you know why they storm the field? Cause McLean coached there. Cause <laughs> Must Champ coached there. I'm saying that's that stuff you had to live through those years. So sometimes. Oh, you storm the field because you're, you're number number one. Listen, listen, let me tell you something. If you don't, if you don't think, if you don't think uh my senior year, I was saying we the only team to beat LSU when they won the Natty, sometimes, BJ, you got to celebrate the small victories. Because you look back on and say you should have rushed the field but yeah it comes down to the fans whatever yeah. the fans decide that's you know because it, it, it don't got to be no big rivalry you know say nine times
0: either. out of ten you beat number one it's fine <laughs> or if you proverbially stink and you get a big victory just go ahead it's fine I don't see a problem with it I think it's kind of overplayed how much all the schools are like we want to keep people off the field and the SEC is like we're gonna find people for it No, just come on if done the right way it's fine I, look I, again can you overdo it of course and I think there is a level at which your program reaches where you say, okay, that's probably not something we should do every time you win a ball game. But for Arkansas, man, you get you get a piece of Texas like they did. Yeah, get, get, get your butts out there, man. Go ahead and have fun with it. That being said, we move on to take three. BJ, this last one is just a wellness check on you, man. Like, Jacksonville, not good. Take three, you okay, man? Jacksonville played poorly. You're a Florida State fan. That obviously was tough. Is that putting it nicely? <laughs> Are you good?
1: Yeah, it was uh, you know it was a weekend and and uh, you know the game on Saturday I do want to say this because. It's it's unfortunate framing from the standpoint of Jacksonville State because everything you see is oh Florida State has a meltdown. Look, credit to Jacksonville State—they found a way to make the plays in the key moments. That finish was one of the great. I mean, just taking out who you're rooting for—that that finish was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. So shout out to those Jacksonville State players and the coaches. But that was uh, that was pretty inexplicable from a schematic standpoint. Florida State really struggled. I mean, the team you saw against Notre Dame was not in the stadium on Saturday. uh, And that's the, you know, the first loss ever to an FCS opponent. Uh, That's, that's, yeah, you're, you're in a, you're in a really bad spot. And, you know, I, I like the Jaguars. I kind of anticipated uh, a little bit of a uh, slow start just with all the newness, but my parents, my, my mom was a big Falcons fan, and I remember Saturday night, she's talking to me going, yeah, you know, Florida State, wow, but, but the Falcons will be better tomorrow. And when she said that, I'm thinking, oh, boy. And then you come out and you don't score a touchdown. So, yeah, yeah, rough in the Bennett family. Uh, that that Saturday finish, I, I almost couldn't believe it. I was kind of speechless. I didn't know what to say. But then you couple that with the Jaguars getting blown out. Uh, it was
2: it was something. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. <laughs> no, that, no, 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 no. This, 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 this is what this is, Kevin. I mean, I'm like – this is karma. This, this is BJ's karma. You know why? Because, listen, when Florida didn't make a bowl game, BJ was talking trash. You know when he make a bowl game next year? With Florida State. Then, BJ's always bringing up to me what happened in the swamp when Georgia Southern played in the swamp. So it was just time. It ain't karma. It was just time. So now forever and more yeah. Jacksonville State. Man, now Florida going to go to run, and I'm going to have to quit this network because I can't do <laughs> we'll it. We'll come back. Hey, we all got- of our teams, all of our teams now share a common bond. <laughs>
0: yeah, we got more to come. It's 3 and Out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 3 and Out here on this Monday. BJ, I did want to give you a chance uh, before we uh, have to step aside and talk to Brooks Austin, top of next hour, Dogs Daily. What about the uh, Urban Meyer Trevor Lawrence debut? I mean, Trevor Lawrence... 300-plus yards, three touchdowns, but also three picks on the day.
1: Yeah, I think Jacksonville looked a little unorganized, and that's and that's disappointing. Uh, Trevor throwing interceptions, that's going to happen. We've talked about it. Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions his rookie year. Uh, and, and a lot of that yardage came late when the game was already over. But I think Trevor Lawrence made some really nice throws. He's going to be fine. But you had ten penalties including a lot of penalties with like procedure and lining up and stuff like that is bad. I, I think if you're urban Meyer, you know, you you, you clearly have some areas where you need to improve, Ben, it's not so much, I know we're running out of time here, but not so much the picks, just some of the, some of the penalties that really look bad to me.
0: Yeah, got to get it cleaned up, obviously, heading into uh, to week number two. We'll come back. Brooks Austin going to join us top of our number two. We'll also look at the week that was, or maybe wasn't, again, in the ACC. We'll look at the Sun Belt. Tough weekend at some spots for them as well. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live com, also live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Love, for you to, hear, uh, love to hear from you on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Great to be here on this Monday. College football, just another fantastic weekend uh, that we are coming off of around the college football landscape. And uh, joining us here to start Hour 2, as he does each and every Monday from Dogs Daily on SI.com, uh, Brooks Austin joins us here on 3 now. Out. Brooks, welcome. How are you?
3: I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are we today?
0: Uh, doing fantastic. It seems like every time I talk to you, I have to uh, have you address some kind of perceived controversy. So I'll just start off with it there. Leading up to the game, a lot of folks said, you know, when it was announced Stetson Bennett was going to get the start, everybody immediately went to, did Kirby disrespect Carson Beck, saying he was number two, number two, and then you start the guy behind him, over him. How do you read that situation? Was it a slight, and are people simply making too much of that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to have an opinion about it, right, when you're not actually in the building. I would assume that Kirby's smart because you don't get to this level of, of, of professional coaching or this professional in coaching without being a good people manager and without the ability to handle these types of situations in the proper manner. So going to Carson Beck and going to in uh, Bennett Thursday morning and saying, look, young man, this is what we're going to do. This is the decision we're making, and this is why. All you can assume is that Kirby handled that in the right way with Carson Beck to make him you know, absorb that information and take that information in the right way and in the right light. Um, but he, he clearly made the right decision. I mean, that, that's clear as day going after and, and seeing the results and, and the way it played out on Saturday. So the, the question about, you know, whether or not you, you made Carson Beck upset, of course the young man is going to be upset. You know, was named the number two uh, quarterback going out of camp or coming into camp and then leaving camp was the backup quarterback. And one would presume when the starter goes down, the backup would play. Uh, but Stetson Bennett gave them the best opportunity to win that day. That is what uh, Kirby Smart has made his program about. What gives me the best opportunity to win today? Not next year, not the year after that. What gives me the best opportunity to win today? I felt like Stetson Bennett was that best opportunity, and he was proven right uh, Saturday afternoon.
1: And, Brooks, talk about Stetson. I mean, the number's incredible. It's like video game numbers. I mean, five passing touchdowns, tying a school record for a single game in the first half. Uh, Just talk about Stetson's performance and how impressive he looked.
3: Look, I don't want to demean Stetson's performance, but we've we got to take a second to talk about Todd Munkin, guys. My Lord, those first five balls, I think Christian Gokel could have thrown. No, in all offense, Christian on that one. Okay, so they, they were, those, those were some guys running wide open that entire first quarter. So if you cap to the offense coordinator as well now, but Stetson did play exceptionally well, right? Got them into the correct looks, had the offense clicking and had the offense running after uh, an off-season where he wasn't really taking reps with that first unit. This isn't a guy that was getting a bunch of work during the practice sessions, wasn't getting a bunch of work during the fall camp sessions. He got his first real live look at that first unit from what we're told, Thursday afternoon at practice. I mean, that's how clicked in and ready to go this dude is as a veteran football player. So I think the most impressive thing to me was he was that ready to go after not getting a lot of reps. Throughout the offseason. And, and that just goes to tell you how special that young man is. And now he's gone about his mental preparation, even though he didn't get a lot of the physical preparation. That shows the mature aspect and a mature way of going about handling your business as what was a third or maybe even fourth string player based off the rep share at practice. Because during fall camp, it was JT gets the lion's share, Carson Beck gets some reps. Let's see what the freshman and Brock Vandergrift can get. And oh, hey, by the way, Stetson, get your work wearing, and, and if you can. And then he goes out there and plays like he did to start that football game. That, that that's very, very impressive for number thirteen.
2: And Brooks, regardless of how many more games uh, Stetson in plays uh, throughout the course of this year. How is Georgia, uh, do, uh, does Georgia really appreciate what Stetson has meant to this program? Because you go back you know, to last year, If Stetson Bennett isn't on this team. Where is this Georgia team in 2020? And you talk about not having no reps and having to step in. I know he played exceptional, but the way Stetson Bennett has gone about his business, when he understands it, listen, man, I know I'm not the first choice. Sometimes I'm the only choice, but I don't make no waves. I don't create no controversy. I just go out there and play with my numbers call.
3: Yeah, I, I, I tweeted about it after the game. If Stetson Bennett buys another beer, meal, or an Uber ride in Athens, shame on everybody. The guy, the guy should be a made man, and when he gets done playing football, he ought to live 40 years selling the most insurance in the, in the city of Athens. I mean, if that's what it comes to, which I don't know what it's going to be for Stetson, I don't foresee an NFL future, but whatever his future is, he should be very, very appreciated, not only by the fans, uh, but the people around the program in general, I, I, I think the, the backlash that comes about when it comes to Stetson Bennett is about, you know, a, a relation to not necessarily, I mean, the fans want to see the other guys, right? When, when, when I see my, my Twitter feed and my mentions, you know, all it is, it's, it's not a hatred towards Stetson or a, a disapproval towards number 13, it's more about, well, I want to see what Carson Beck is. I I've already know what Stetson Bennett is if we have to go to him on the road against Alabama. I don't know what Carson Beck's going to be like that in a situation. So I want to see Carson Beck. And that's where the anger comes from, and that's where the vitriol comes from. But I just hope, like you're saying, Ben, it's it's not directed towards Stetson. And I don't think it is. I think people know exactly what he is and appreciate him for what he's done um, at, their, at the University of Georgia, but... I mean, you you can't say anything bad about the guy, like you said. Every time he steps in, it's like, all right, well, this is what i got to do. I'm just going to go be me. That's exactly what he does for for however long he's into the game.
0: Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. And, Brooks, we've now made it through two weeks, and Georgia's defense still hasn't given up a a touchdown. I mean, South Carolina has struggled uh, offensively. It's certainly Vanderbilt the week after that. I mean, at this level, can they keep that up? And certainly the next couple weeks, might it be a few more weeks before they give up a touchdown?
3: I was about to say, I think we get into October before they give up a score. Um, it, it's, it's not necessarily murderer's row on that, on that schedule moving forward. Like you said, I mean, South Carolina, I, I don't foresee them putting up, you know, points against this first unit um, and, and maybe even moving the ball at all. That's the other thing that's impressed me. I mean, it's not like teams are sustaining drives and turning it over in the red zone. No, 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 no. Most of these football teams are dying out on the vine at like middle, midfield and then part in the football. So it is exceptional to watch this unit work. And I think the most impressive thing about Saturday was just how deep they are. I think I saw 32 players made a tackle or something like that, or at least assisted on a tackle, not 32 players played about 32 players. Got a half of a tackle or an assist on a tackle. That's absurd. Um, just how deep they are, just how good they are um, and, and how elite that upper level unit is. I mean, I mean, a guy like Channing Tindall, the third, the number three linebacker on this roster, and you outside of Alabama, I don't see a program in the country where Channing Tindall not only wouldn't be the starter, but wouldn't be one of the best players on their defensive unit. That's how sick and, and twistedly deep this Georgia defense is.
1: And, Brooks, you talked about Todd Munkin earlier. What about Dan Lanning and the job he's doing? Uh, what about his scheme? Obviously incredible talent, but what about his scheme kind of helps these guys and, and, and helps this team have the results we're seeing?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very, very complex, right? So that's one thing you need to know about, you know, being a, a recruit or a prospect wanting to play at a school like Georgia. Um, you, you got to be a really smart football player to play on that defense. It's really, really complex. But that complexity – Gives opposing quarterbacks a lot of issues. You see a lot of quarterbacks sticking to primary reads because they don't know what's going around or going on outside of their primary read because they're trying to focus on that guy with the defense moving all over the place. They do a bunch of pre and post snap movements. They, you know, they're smarting. the most important thing to me this year, though, is that they've finally started to let this defense line get up the field. For the last three or four years under uh, under Kirby Smart and and with Dan Lanning's hand in, into that defensive coordinating. They didn't really allow these guys to get upfield and get after the quarterback. It was more, hey, push the pocket, make sure the quarterback doesn't get outside the pocket because we're afraid of what can happen when these guys get outside of the pocket. Well, now they're just like, nah, screw that. Go get him. Go, go try to sack him. And if he gets out of the pocket, don't worry because Jordan Davis is still 360 pounds and can run almost 20 miles an hour. So we'll run, we'll run that quarterback down even with our biggest guy. You saw that this weekend. And, you know, it's 3rd and ten. And Jordan Davis is, is, is running that quarterback down out of bounds, forcing a fourth and one. So they're not really worried about it as much anymore because they, they realize, okay, wow, guys, we've got good team speed. So even if these guys do slip out of the pocket, we're going to run them down. He's not, he's not going to run for 20 yards. And our defensive backfield is good enough to where we're not really worried about big explosives happening either in that back end. Brooks
2: he was thinking with coach Landon. when you think about the fact that he was he had to adjust his scheme from when he first you know when he first got the coordinator job till now how much about that defense now is you talk about you know having that football IQ you got to be smart I see, inst- I see, just instincts out there. You talk about a guy like you know, in Jordan Davis, who's one of the biggest men in college football with, with, with the type of skills that he has. But when you when you understand what you're supposed to be doing, when you understand what everybody else is supposed to be doing, how much could you just go out there and play free and then let your instincts take over?
3: Yeah, the, the, the term, and you know this Ben as well as I do, play fast, right? They want to play fast. They want to play fast, and they want to play physical. Um, and, and that's the advantage of having older guys, right? That, that roster, especially defensively is really, really experienced, and guys that have been in this system for two, three, four years now, um, especially when you talk like guys like Jordan Davis, and when your leader of your program uh, defensively is N'Kobe Dean, and this is his third year in this defense, and it wasn't like his freshman year he wasn't playing. He got a lot of run, especially on third down his freshman year back in 2019. Lewis Sean getting into his second year. Chris Smith into his second full season of starting, and you see the confidence and the swagger that he's playing with now, right? Uh, And even a guy like Darren Kendrick, first year in the system. But guess what? I mean, he comes from a Clemson system, guys, where you can't be done playing in that system either. So these are smart, athletic, freakish football players that are really, really comfortable with what they're running right now. Um, And they, they are. They're playing really, really fast and physical and confident.
0: Daily on SI, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out in Brooks, South Carolina this weekend. We see it all around college football where, uh, you know, Notre Dame looked pretty good in week one, had a scare against Toledo. We know about the South Carolina story from a couple of years ago. How does Georgia avoid what has been a red-hot start having that kind of, not sleepwalk game, but a game that might end up being closer than you want it to be just because you're just again, that much more talented and maybe don't bring the full energy. Is that a possibility, or is this team kind of turned the corner in that kind of stuff?
3: I think as you're we're, – we're talking about an older, experienced football team, right, as you return 17 juniors from a year ago, guys who came back with one dream and one uh, mentality and one aspect and one goal, right, it's to win a national title, they know that they cannot afford a slip-up. They slip up once to a team like South Carolina, and it ruins everything that guys like Adam Anderson, Jordan Davis, Jamari Salyer, uh, even JT Daniels had an opportunity to go pro last year. These guys came back with one rule and one one term, right? Unfinished business. And they're going about finishing that business day in and day out. It's not something that uh, a mature and experienced football team allows. I think that's what happened back in 2019, right? You had a football team that just kind of was going through the motions midway through the season. Um, I don't I – don't, i don't foresee this upper you know experienced upper class unit um, allowing these young guys to just walk in and say hey look we're 31 point favorites against South carolina at home this should be a cakewalk no it's a night game in Sanford stadium there's going to be juice there's going to be uh energy still around this football game uh, and you would imagine that they come out and handle their business like they did this past weekend against UAB
1: Brooks finally coaches always want want more they're always looking for areas to improve where can Georgia still get better
3: that run game was porous even against UAB they got manhandled up front guys it was not it was not but there was a few blown assignments but i saw double teams that were stagnant at the line of scrimmage as unacceptable unacceptable when you have a defensive tackle that is from a mid-major program that is holding two of your four-star and five-star linemen at the line of scrimmage and allowing their linebackers to run free. They have got to figure out how to reset the line of scrimmage offensively or they won't have a run game moving forward. Um, If UAB can hold them up, and I know UAB's got a big front. That's what they do. They teach exactly what Georgia does in terms of run fits are vital at UAB. But that, that offensive line performance and that run game performance against UAB, that moving forward has got to get better. I'm sure they'll handle that and address that this week.
0: Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Brooks, always a pleasure. We'll talk next week. Yeah, we'll see you Monday, guys. Appreciate it. Brooks Austin joining us here on 3 and Out as Georgia beats UAB. They've got South Carolina in the SEC opener coming up on Saturday night. We've got more to come here, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. At college football coming out of another big weekend. Uh, here every Monday on the show, we'll talk ACC, Sunbelt, SEC, And, of course, we'll hit the good, the bad, and the ugly top of the final hour of what went down in the college football weekend. But the ACC had a horrid opening weekend, uh, BJ and Ben. Week two, well, better if only by slightly, uh, but still not saying much. What is going on there uh, with with the league, uh, BJ and Ben? I mean, you have Pitt taking down Tennessee. That was probably the highlight of the weekend. But still, Florida State loses to FCS Jacksonville State. Miami has to score late to beat App State. NC State lays an egg in Mississippi State. Where do you, where's the read here? Why can't this team uh, why can't this conference, which should be better than it shows week to week, uh, struggle so much?
1: Yeah, it's been really bad. It's been really disappointing, and we talked about the Florida State loss. I mean, the finish of that game, where you're playing, I guess, a traditional defense as opposed to a prevent defense on fourth and ten with like seven or eight seconds left, was inexplicable—absolutely inexplicable. Absolutely inexplicable. Uh, and you know, for that game to finish the way—I—I I, I haven't seen many finishes like that. And just lining up defensively, it—it—it it, 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 it doesn't make sense. But Florida State also got just got beat. in in that game beyond just that play I mean Florida State only had 329 yards of total offense they were four of 14 on third downs they averaged 3.9 yards per pass attempt I mean no big plays couldn't convert a couple of third and fourth and shorts so yeah that's obviously a completely you know different situation with the work Florida State has to do but you mentioned NC State to me that was kind of the surprise of the weekend and I still think NC State is a really, really talented team. Folks will remember I was very high on them during the preseason. And I I felt like entering this weekend, they were probably, you know, the third or fourth, maybe fifth. You know, one of the best teams, a Mississippi State team that got dominated for stretches of their opener against Louisiana Tech. And Louisiana Tech scored, what, 35 in that game or something like that? And, NC State scores 10 against Mississippi State. And again, just offensively, 32 yards rushing, three turnovers, six of 20 on third down. Uh, To me, that NC State game was a real surprise in terms of the Wolfpack not being able to be more effective against Mississippi
2: State. Obviously, the the ACC is going to be judged off, you know, what it didn't do compared to what it did do. I mean, you got a bunch of teams that had some bounce-back victories. I mean, uh, North Carolina with a big bounce-back victory. I mean, Clemson obviously was going to have his way with South Carolina State. I think the Mississippi State, North Carolina – NC State was a little was a little uh, you know mind boggling, but I mean I think sometimes we forget that you know Coach Leach is under a, a lot of different a, a lot more pressure you know than Coach Dorn, so I I think that that's kind of why they went the way they did. App State is a good team, so the situation with Miami I mean people are kind of shocked, but that's us not giving enough credit to App State and giving too much credit to Miami. Miami came out with the you know with the win you know at the end of the day, you know Pitt. You know, Pitt and uh, you know Tennessee, me and Kevin were talking about this last week, BJ. I mean, Pitt is always going to bring a defense. Pitt, and that's what we don't get. Certain teams are known for certain things. Pitt plays great defense. Tennessee wants to run the football. Pitt wanted to make it one-dimensional, and it worked in their favor. And look, the Jacksonville State-Florida State situation is always going to be a head-scratcher. That, that, is, that is bad for Florida State, but also good for Florida State, because that means that the expectation in Tallahassee is still big. You should lose to Jacksonville State, and the thing is, it's how you lost, not that you lost. I know it's who you lost to, too, but that lack of effort at the end of the game, Coach Norvell. I mean, the thing he said, talking about, I still feel good about this team, and uh, you know, our direction. Look, you're gonna have to play better than that. But the ACC needs to start. The ACC needs to understand you're doing it for more than just You're doing it for you as well as the conference, because that's how you get judged. Now we get more scrutiny, Kevin, and BJ, the teams that win because of how they won. Well, do they barely won? Well, a win is a win, and the. The Jacksonville State proved something that happens every single year. FBS and FC, it is not that different. I know we think, of course it is. No, it's not. I mean, Alabama lost to Louisiana Monroe at home, didn't they? That 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 happened, right? It's been a while. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's been a while. I mean, we <laughs> got to go back. But it has happened. So all I'm saying is sometimes you got to be reminded of, you know, who you are and, wh- and who you play for. We go. We, we go – Because the most egregious thing didn't happen during the game. We're figuring Florida State and Jacksonville State. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But I think the ACC, Georgia Tech with a big bounce back. Because this time last week, we were saying Georgia Tech might be in trouble against Kennesaw State. So, you know, celebrate the victories when you get them, but understand that just because, quote, lower level of football, that's just what we say. No, they lined it up just like anybody else. But BJ, something mean, you know, Jacksonville State has played Florida State very, very good in the recent few. I mean, as of as of you know, as of late. So it's not like this is something that didn't go out, you know, uh you, you didn't see this for coming as far as like losing the game. But maybe, maybe BJ Florida State owes Willie Taggart an apology because they thought it was Willie. I don't even think it's coach Norvell. It might be an identity crisis going on right now at Florida State because I don't care. you you just don't give that up even if you in that defense overcoming bad schemes happens every week You've got to overcome the coaching. But yes, the ACC they got some big wins but it wasn't that impressive because when Clemson loses week 1, panic mode was already at an all-time high. But they did they did get some bounce back this week, Kevin. I just think as a whole, it wasn't it wasn't what you thought it was be you know, uh, from the entire conference.
0: Well, I mean, again, I think the issue is going to be when's your opportunity to make a statement. in the, in the coming weeks, maybe, but you're going to get into conference play. I think you're looking for somebody to step up and say that they could can challenge Clemson to beat you. I think the problem uh, that the league has run into is every time you think you've identified that team, they lose to not Clemson. Uh, at, at the same time, everybody, hey, North Carolina, that's going to be the team that could challenge Clemson. Week one, lost, albeit on the road against a solid team uh, in Virginia Tech, still lost okay, NC State looks pretty good. Uh, they have a, a solid squad. Are they ready to challenge? Nope. No, they're not. And, you know, I I think that is the problem that the the league has run into is that whenever it looks like a team is in position to make a stride, they don't. Uh, you know, hey, you got the personnel. You've got the, uh, the scheme. You've got things laid out that it looks like this is a team headed in the right direction, ready to take a step, and then you don't. And, again, it's kind of – Wild to figure out because come draft time, they're still putting dudes in the NFL uh, in in plenty of numbers. Yet on the field, uh, out of conference, it has been a struggle for the ACC, especially the last couple of years. And I think the
1: team to watch, you mentioned, uh, Ben, is is Miami. You know, Miami's five hundred, but they lost to Alabama. Everybody loses to Alabama. And I make this point uh, because I always hear folks say, well, they got blown out. Okay, well, Texas A&M lost to Alabama by 28 last year, and they were the first team out of the college football playoff. They were a top-five team. So just because you lose to Alabama by 28 or 30 or 27 doesn't mean you still can't be a very good team. And I thought Miami finding a way to win, uh, and and you know I've heard a lot of, well, Miami didn't look great. They didn't play their best. But finding a way to beat a good Appalachian State team, uh, that – that matters, and to bounce back from a loss to Alabama that, you know, was, was, was considerable, to find a way to get back up, play a good team, do whatever you have to do to win. You won the game, late field goal. Hey, sometimes you have to win it that way. And keep in mind, this is kind of a sandwich game for Miami. Open with Alabama, Michigan State coming up next, Appalachian State, you easily could have lost that game. You were trailing in the fourth quarter late. You found a way to win. I think this is still a good team with the Hurricanes. Don't forget about them just because they lost to Alabama and didn't blow out Appalachian State. I mean, we should know better by now. Beating Appalachian State is a good win. Is a quality win. So don't don't don't
2: forget about the Canes. I mean, I know we're going to I know we're going to talk about the Sun Belt in a little bit, but we 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 give these teams so much credit and you know who I blame it on? These freaking preseason polls, man, they rank number 15. Are they? Or do, or do we got to make sure we fill out a top 25? We know who number one is. We know who number two, number three, number four is. You start getting number six and seven, get a little eh, because we really don't know how good teams are. App has been good for a long time. Miami has been to one ACC championship game. One. But B.J., we still living in 2000, 2001, 2002. And unfortunately for me, that was a nightmare. It's because I had to play those teams. But give credit. Sir, Jacksonville State says Florida State is our barometer every year if we plan them. App State said, "Look man, we just as good as anybody on the we just as good as anybody out there." I mean, you know, we can play with anybody. I mean, North Carolina State is is a question mark right now. We don't know who they are. As Kev, as Kevin say, they ACC themselves. They just happen to do it before they get into the <laughs> ACC schedule. They already they already you know mid season form. But look, give the team give teams credit for getting wins. The hardest thing to do in football is to get the six wins. We don't. That's why that's why six wins is the you know is you know it, it's what you have to do to make it to a bowl game. We we take that stuff for granted because oh this team gonna be good. But shout out to Miami because BJ, do you know what they would be saying? To Mr. Coach Manny as they would have lost. Same thing they say to Coach Norvell. Well, you, uh-uh, you might want to rent your house. Uh-huh. No, 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 don't buy it because you ain't going to be here long. Big brands get tested by brands that ain't as big, but a shout-out to the Miami boys for getting that dub. We've got much more to get to here on 3 and Out. We'll take a look at the Sun Belt
0: when we come back. Another interesting weekend there, and in Statesboro, uh, Chad Lunsford saying, look, Georgia Southern doesn't get beat like that after they got beat like that. Uh, down in South Florida. We'll get to that when we come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. College football, another big weekend. Sunbelt had some opportunities to uh, to go out there. Uh, App State almost getting it done. Coastal Carolina this past week beating Kansas for the third year in a row, uh, mind you. I don't know if that says more about coastal or Kansas football uh, at this point, but uh, the, the Sunbelt... Uh, Again, had some opportunities to go out and make statements. Georgia Southern uh, got, or Georgia State got beat down by North Carolina. Georgia Southern did not play well at all against uh, FAU. Uh, Matter of fact, I think scored just a touchdown early in the game, missed the extra point, and that was pretty much it from an offensive standpoint. Justin Tomlin set the comeback uh, this week against Arkansas. I don't know if JD King was going to play or not this week. Looks like Georgia Southern trying to make sure he's 100% before they bring him back a chance, but. Maybe not against Arkansas this week, but uh, BJ, Georgia Southern, uh struggled there after, uh, again, early in the game. Thought, okay, maybe this can be a little bit of back and forth, and then I uh, just got away from him.
1: Yeah, disappointing performance overall. And you mentioned Tomlin coming back. I think that'll help. You know, we'll see what he's able to do. Now, Arkansas, that's a tough test, uh, probably much tougher than we thought at the beginning of the season. They had a huge win over Rice in week one. And then, of course, really dominated Texas on that national stage over the weekend. But I do want to say this Florida Atlantic's a good team. Coach Taggart has done a good job with this program. Uh, you know, we saw them make some plays against Florida and former Miami quarterback Nicosi Perry. Uh, looked great on Saturday against Georgia Southern, was 19 of 27 for 332 yards and four touchdowns. And I think, yes, when you get fully healthy, you want to be able to run the football. We'll see what Tomlin can do uh, you know, with that and also throw in the football. But I think defensively you've got to do a better job in, in, in pass defense, and you expect to be a little more consistent there. Again, Perry was just incredibly efficient throwing the ball downfield against Georgia Southern, big plays, four touchdowns, and I think you expect to be better defensively. You expect to be better in the defensive backfield. Uh, and, look, you've, you've had a disappointing start to the season. You were able to get the win against Gardner-Webb, but it was close. It was tight. FAU a good team. Coach Taggart doing a good job. But you still expect, to, at the very least, be be competitive. That was disappointing. But I think you move forward. Hopefully you get healthy. We'll see what Tomlin can do, a veteran with some experience, at quarterback. But, yes, that was a, a disappointing uh, finish against FAU.
2: The, the uh the number for the number for Georgia Southern every week to win games is 200 I'm talking about 200 yards rushing. I think there was like 38 rushing, like 139 yards cam ransom I mean he's a he's an incredible talent but the one thing about Georgia Southern that will never ever go away and I know these are these are questions that always get deflected when you ask your coach Lunsford you're gonna have to develop in the passing game because the thing about football is okay if they take away what I do best can I can I can I do can I do well at what I don't do well at and that's throwing the football. Cam Ransom, I, I, the kid looks the part, but but B J and Kevin, what's gonna happen if that the run game got neutralized this weekend? The thing about a running team is you're not built to play from behind, at all, and when you and I think uh, I think Nicole, I think uh Nicole I think he went what, what I think he went for like three touchdowns B J in the third quarter. You broke the game open. What happens then? But I do know that Tomlin is going to add a spark. But, unfortunately, you're going to get you're going a very, very confident Arkansas team that just waxed Texas. I mean, this was not a game. I understand Coach Lundgren is under a different level of scrutiny. We we're mm-hmm. talking about how good they want to – you know, the, the style of football they want to play Georgia Southern. Whenever you run the option, that is a state ahead of schedule – uh, type you know a type offense. You can't be getting down, but yeah, it's been a tough. It's, it's been a tough uh, couple of you know uh, first two games for uh, for Georgia Southern. Kevin, it doesn't get any better, but. Listen, the Sun Belt. We talking about these out of conference games. I mean, the Sun Belt is rough enough on its own. You start talking about Arkansas, you start talking about FAU, and <clears throat> BYU was coming to town this year. So, yeah, I think. I mean, Tomlin coming back, and hopefully she create a spark, and JD King is going to definitely create a spark for you know for a running game that's just kind of well, lackluster right now.
0: Yeah, I think obviously the the run game. Your two leading rushers were were both your quarterbacks. It was you know Cam Ransom and, and Kenderson were your leading rushers uh, on the ball game. And in an option offense, you would say, well, that's not bad. But you almost threw for more yards than you ran for against FAU. uh, What, 14 of 24 throwing the football? For Georgia Southern, that's not bad. That's fairly efficient. You didn't have a lot of yards off of it, 118, I believe. But 14 of 24, that's about where you want to live. Could not rush the ball, I think, consistently. And and to me, BJ, I think the most disappointing part of this is, you look at the final score, 38 to 6. It was 10-6 at halftime. I mean, you were in the ballgame, and it just completely got away from you there in the third quarter, giving up 21 points. So uh, you lost a fumble. You, lost, you had an interception. Uh, just not a great day, and you, you lost in a lot of metrics that would tell you you were going to win the ball ballgame. Uh, you were not great on third down, especially if you're a running team. Got to be good, at least solid on third down. Give yourself uh, some fourth and shorts. Uh, you did win the penalty game, but it didn't seem to matter. Uh, when you were late, you lost time of possession. That's never good for a Georgia Southern football team. So, yeah, you're trying to get it back this week against Arkansas, and maybe you catch Arkansas in a yay for us uh, moment where, you know, hey, we just beat Texas, and you have a chance to go in there. But, uh, again, not a great offensive performance from Georgia Southern, and I don't know if this is a great week to figure that out, but certainly you got to find some something that works here before you get into uh, to Sun Belt play.
1: Yeah, and, and talented young quarterbacks on your roster, uh, guys that have done a good job. But I think Tomlin, like you said, Ben, maybe add a spark, bring some veteran stability to the offense. But but the schedule is, listen, uh, yeah, BYU, obviously, they, they beat Utah over the weekend. Arkansas is probably – one of the teams that is impressed the most in terms of where expectations were and what they've done a couple of weeks in. And, Kevin, like you said, who knows, could be a trap game. I mean, Georgia Southern's capable of playing with anybody, a trap game for Arkansas, but you're still going to play a team that is red hot and just have one of their biggest wins in recent memory. But you look around the league even. I mean, Coastal Carolina, we know them as a team that, you know, they throw the football with Grayson McCall and Isaiah Likely. Their running back, Reese White, had 100 yards and three touchdowns. So the balance offensively for Coastal Carolina, I mean, that's going to be a, a, a remarkable challenge. I do think you look at a team like South Alabama in the Sun Belt quietly, beat Southern Miss in week one, beat Bowling Green on Saturday. It was close, but you're 2-0 oh with, with uh, Kane Walmack, the new head coach there in Mobile, Jake Bentley, former South Carolina quarterback, uh, uh, there for the Jaguars. And, you know, it, it, there, there aren't going to be any easy weeks in this league. I think – Louisiana has been a little bit of a disappointment. When you think about getting blown out by Texas the way they did, they had a really tight game with Nichols State. Uh, The FCS team on Saturday were able to win, but even some of these teams that have lost, I mean, Arkansas State on Saturday, they put up 50 points in a loss to Memphis. Former Florida State quarterback James Blackman had four touchdowns. Uh, Georgia Southern will play Troy later in the year. Troy played uh, Liberty within one score and did a really good job against Malik Willis. So the Sun Belt, we saw what App State did against Miami. There are no off weeks, and the schedule is going to be really challenging for the Eagles.
2: Yeah, and let's give them Somebody a lot of credit. I mean, when you start talking about out of conference schedules, it's not like these guys be trying to go out there and get uh, automatic wins. I mean, it's something to say for Miami. I mean, to go. I mean, I mean for App State to go out there and play Miami, it's something to say for Georgia Southern getting ready to play. You know, Arkansas. So it's not like these guys are playing. You know, Georgia. You know, Georgia State playing North Carolina. These guys are saying, "Look, when they say we have the adage of we'll play anybody. They will play anybody." So you give them a lot of credit for that. I mean, I know that. You know, the out-of-conference the is supposed to get you ready for the in-conference schedule, but – these guys are going up against some some big time heavy hitters, and maybe they just bringing out the best of some of these teams. I mean, so yeah, I I, I do think uh, Kevin the Sun Belt, unlike the ACC, they they earned their reputation of the Sun Belt is the fun belt. Just do not play them out of conference, because you know you will be looking you because because yep. because aren't we a couple of years removed from Georgia, Georgia State going to Tennessee and beating them? So yeah, the Sun Belt. I mean, they they don't never ever get the credit they deserve as far as like what they bring to the table, but it's not going to get any easier moving forward. And if you're Georgia Southern, you're going to need Tomlin to create more than just a spark because it's rough right now.
0: Yeah. We've got more to come here on three and out all across the Southern pigskin radio network. So I know we ran out of time last hour uh, to just talk about urban Meyer and Jacksonville. I know a lot of people said, look, disorganized, not a good debut for urban as a coach in the national football league. A lot of people saying, look, this might've been one of your better chances to get a dub early in the season against a Houston team that's not expected to be world beaters out there. Trevor Lawrence, 300 plus yards passing, three touchdowns, but also three costly picks. What do you kind of, again, make of the debut of urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, and is there any optimism at this point moving forward?
1: I don't know that optimism is the right word because I don't think we're to that point yet, right? Like, you go back a couple of of months and people were saying, oh, Jacksonville's going to contend. You know, they're going to make the playoffs in year one with Meyer and Lawrence. And then, you know, you start to – see things like the injuries, you know, you, Travis Etienne lost for the season. You look at, you know, some of the roster moves. You you traded a couple of guys, Sidney Jones and Joe Showbert, two of your better, more experienced players on defense. You trade, and then you start to look and realize, wow, this team is really, really young. Like, not kind of young, really young. When you talk about the star players, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to have to go through ups and downs. Ben, I know you've talked about this. That was his first loss ever, like officially, in the regular season did not lose a regular season game in high school, did not lose a regular season game in college. That's his first kind of real regular season loss. He's going to have to find a way to bounce back. And he threw three touchdowns, and I think credit his resiliency. He had some great throws, also had some picks, also had some drops. You're young at wide receiver. You're young along the offensive line. Defensively, you're talking about guys like You know, CJ Henderson and Josh Allen and uh, Caleb on Chasen, guys that are in their first, second or third year, it's going to take time. So is there optimism for the future? I would say absolutely. You have a very talented young roster, but Urban Meyer's got to prove himself at this level. And yes, it's one game. And yes, you started a rookie quarterback, but you looked a little out of sorts. You look like at times out there, there wasn't great clarity. Uh, 10 penalties, as I mentioned earlier in the show. So, should fans still be optimistic about Jacksonville's future? Yes. You have a lot of young talent. You have a franchise quarterback. But is it going to take some time? Absolutely. And I think we had a little bit of a reality check and kind of saw that in week one against the Texans.
2: This team won one game last year. One game, right? People be thinking that you got some type of like a magic potion. Oh, the magic potion is not Trevor Lawrence and it's not Urban Meyer. It's learning how to win in the National Football League on a consistent level. The problem with Jacksonville on Sunday was not the fact that they lost the game. I always look at one thing when I'm looking at quarterbacks. It's not the passing yards. It's not the touchdowns or picks. It's the pass attempts. Trevor Lawrence threw the ball 51 times. 51. You're not going to win throwing the ball 51 times. How do you know that, Ben? How many many times did Dak Prescott throw the ball on Thursday night? Over 50 times. Did they win? No. That's not efficient football. James Robinson didn't run the football well. You know, Carlos Hyde didn't run the football efficient enough. Lavisca Chenault, you know, I mean, they had them trying to get the football, and the thing is, they couldn't get off the field. People, people see the Texas Tyrod Taylor, the Texas Tyrod Taylor. That's a veteran quarterback that's been in the league that understands how to win. Brandon Cooks, that's a that's a that's a name that's, that's that's traveled around the league a little bit. He had like almost, I think he had like 132 receiving yards. A one in fifteen team has to learn how to win. They have to learn how to get better from losing, and they have to learn how to win. Trevor Lawrence, sometimes we get caught up in the end result. He had 330-something. Yeah, he had three touchdowns. He also had three picks. So it is just one game, and I know that everybody thought, it's the Mm Texans. They better get used to saying, it's the Jaguars, because it's going to take some time, and – Listen, that, that, the AFC South did not look good all weekend. I mean, I know we ain't talking about the Titans today, but they got the hell beat out them, too, by Arizona. And they got Julio Jones. Didn't matter. I mean, and the Colts, they struggle. So I, I think when you start talking about this division, it is up for grabs. But, B.J., 51 times for a rookie quarterback in his first career start is not good. His body will not hold up because it's not so much the sacks, it's the hits. He got he got hit a lot yesterday, so I credit him a lot for being being a guy that's very tough. He's only missed a game because of you know COVID, you know uh, get, you know uh, uh, getting COVID last year, you know in 2020. But it's gonna take a while for Urban Meyer to understand that you're not your 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 resume that got you to this point it's over with, it's done with, finito. You got to start from scratch. So yeah, it, it is just one game, but if the Texas shows you anything, that a veteran quarterback against a rookie quarterback usually bowls well for the veteran. And Again, still a lot of football left for Urban Meyer. But as you said, your feature back,
0: thousand-yard rusher had five catch, five uh, attempts running the football uh, yesterday. That's not as been that's not dedication to trying to run the football. And as you said, fifty-one times a game for Trevor Lawrence. I, I said this about young Matt Ryan, B.J. If you remember, the Falcons threw the ball over forty times with young Matt Ryan. They lost. I mean, it was it was almost a certainty. And you could say, well, they were losing. I understand that, but. You realize you don't have to throw it so much before you're losing uh, in, in in the ball game, and I think that to me is the the identity. You say, well, the game plan. Look, can't have Trevor Lawrence throwing it 50 times a game and expect to to win. I, I just I, I agree with Ben. I think a young quarterback. Limit the amount of big-time decisions he's got to make throwing the football. You'll see those interception numbers come down, uh, BJ, from from three picks to hopefully you know maybe one uh, if, if you're still talking about his rookie season and, and make some smarter decisions with the football. But, yeah, just dropping back and slinging it with the offensive line, you've got not a good recipe for success. We've got a lot to get to in the final hour of the program. We'll get to the good the bad, and the downright ugly from the college football weekend. We'll look at the weekend that was in the SEC. Also, Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com will join us, and uh, we'll talk some college football with him. It is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Final hour of 3 and Out here on this Monday afternoon. Glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We're streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us live streaming on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal. Uh, Hit that uh, subscribe button. You'll know every time Three and Out is live, and you can catch us that way as well. We'll hear from Matt Smith here in the final hour of the program talking college football. We'll talk some SEC football specifically coming up in just a little bit. But, guys, time for a segment we like to do here at this time every Monday, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the week that was, and there's plenty of all of that uh, to get to. What was the good here from this past College Football Saturday? Yeah,
1: I think you start with Oregon. I mean, for for seasons now in college football, it's been, can the Pac-12 produce a contender? Can the Pac-12, you know, win some games nationally? Can the Pac-12 grab some headlines? Oregon went to Ohio State, controlled that game, managed that game, and won that game in fairly convincing fashion. I mean, you're not going to go and blow out Ohio State, but in terms of kind of, being the team that dictates tempo, Oregon won that game and, and I think won it convincingly. And, Ben, you mentioned this earlier. Kayvon Thibodeau didn't even play. I mean, the guy for Oregon who might be the number one overall draft pick in, in, in 2022, didn't even play. Anthony Brown did a really nice job. You were able to run the football uh, defensively. You gave up a lot of yards through the air, but in the red zone, when it mattered, you made enough plays. I think you have to look at Oregon as one of the national contenders right now. When you talk about Alabama, when you talk about Georgia, I think it's then Oregon when you say, hey, who, you know, Oklahoma didn't look great in week one against Tulane. So give Oregon a ton of credit for going to Ohio State winning that game the way they did. I also say Arkansas. Arkansas and Texas have a rivalry that dates back to the 1800s. Long stretches of that rivalry have been dominated by Texas. Hey, guess what, Texas? You're coming over to the SEC. Here's your unofficial welcome. You get beat down by Arkansas. Great atmosphere in Fayetteville great win for Sam Pittman they run the football that was a statement victory for Arkansas and then Ben, I'm going to talk about your quarterback your backup quarterback at Florida Anthony Richardson more highlights on Saturday through two games now and granted we're talking about limited limited reps Anthony Richardson is averaging 17 and a half yards per pass attempt 32 yards per pass completion and 25 yards per rush this guy is a big play, a home run waiting to happen. So keep an eye on him. Florida, Alabama this weekend. How will Anthony Richardson be used?
2: The good for me is Stetson Bennett. And and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and you can't say enough about him because of the circumstance. Yes, he was expecting – go, Georgia's going to win the football game, but the fact that he got the offense on track and they still haven't found a way to run the football, the hardest thing to do is to come off the bench when you haven't gotten any reps. I don't care – where is that? Stetson been to understand it's supposed to be think about it they, they didn't want him last year they wanted Jamie Newman they wanted JT hey come in Stetson what's up we need you to go out there and keep us afloat JT Daniels gets comes back I appreciate it Stetson never to be seen from or heard from again JT Daniels gets hurt again hey Stetson you know hey Carson well tell Stetson to come here come here, man I need you to come do it again through 12 passes. You know, so five of them for touchdown, almost 300 yards. I'm sorry I guess a UAB team that's going to be really, really good in that conference and competing, you know, to go to bowl games. Stetson Bennett is underappreciated because of who he is, not what he is doing. Five touchdowns and five touchdowns. And I know anybody – isn't it funny how people say anybody could have did it? No, anybody couldn't have done it. You know who couldn't have done it? Carson Beck because they wouldn't even let him play. And he's <laughs> been on the team. So Stetson Bennett was the good for me. And another thing, BJ. I mean, I know we go, listen, Jacksonville State, because you're doing it for something bigger than yourself. We always talk about it's college football or not, right? Well, it is. Jacksonville State is a team that I guarantee you Florida State is their barometer every single year because they put them on the schedule. And, you know, they played them, they played them, you know, and I, I know we're going to get to the bad and to the ugly, but shout out to Jacksonville State, man, for finding a way to get it. Florida State don't understand how big of a brand they are, and Jacksonville State understands even when we beat big brands. I mean, I, I'm sorry, BJ, I didn't know that Jacksonville State wasn't, a, wasn't in Alabama until you told me I thought it was in Jacksonville. Like, that's a quick lie <laughs> No, that would be JU. Jacksonville State is in Alabama. So, sorry, you know. But, yeah, but shout out to them Jacksonville State boys, but shout out to a to bit. and I do agree, BJ. You know, Arkansas, they're always scratching and clawing, man. And they didn't beat Texas. They dominated Texas. It was Texas Longhorns. We're back. Oh, they got Steve Sarkeesian. Who cares? You know, and, I, and, and for those who don't know, that is a long rivalry. I mean, Arkansas and Texas have been playing each other for a long time. So, shout out to them Razorbacks, man, for getting a big dominant victory against them boys from Austin.
0: Yeah, the good, definitely, Arkansas, good win for them. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, beating their longtime uh, big rival Texas right before Texas is, you know, starting to think about coming into the SEC here. Arkansas gives them a dose of the reality. So, hey, remember? Ah, we were picked seventh in the West. Welcome, welcome to uh, to to the SEC. You no, know, I thought that was a great uh, win uh, for for Arkansas. Definitely the good from the weekend. Now to the bad. What was bad this uh, this weekend? B.J. and Ben.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to talk about. Iowa State here. Uh, Iowa State, this was supposed to be their season, right? You had the momentum last year of going to the Fiesta Bowl, finishing in the top 10. Some of the polls, your preseason top five, top six, and this is a team that has not been a traditional power. You know, Iowa State had some good teams, but not a traditional power. This was going to be your year. This was going to be the season. Could you make a run at the college football playoff? Beat Oklahoma, you might be in the playoff. That's what everybody was saying. Well, you just lost at home. By double digits to your arch rival in a game where you did not play well and Iowa controlled it. You lose by 10. Uh, you know, last year when you had the spotlight on you early, you lost to Louisiana at home. Now you lose to Iowa State by 10. Uh, a lot of guys who were going to play in the NFL on this team. Again, people thought this was your season and in a rivalry series where you've been dominated by Iowa, that continued. No different. Iowa continues to have your number. Uh, You lose at home, double digits. You only had three points. Like, I'm looking at that game going, when is Iowa State going to pick it up? And they weren't able to get it together. So, I think the bad, given what the expectations were, I think I'm going with Iowa State.
2: Man, I mean, I hate to do this because I know, I know, I mean, I really, really like like this team, I like this coach. I got to go with Georgia Southern. I mean – it's, it's just – it's not – I understand that, you know, you had a lot of turmoil, you know, in the offseason as far as, like, who's going to be the quarterback. Tomlin, you know, gets uh, suspended for the first two games, not there. But it hasn't been close. Like, you guys just haven't been themselves. I, Georgia Southern is known for you know, really, really good defense and, and and just giving you an offense that give you fits with that option. And they haven't been a way to find – you know, haven't been able to find that rhythm. I mean, BJ, did this, is a, this isn't the same Georgia Southern team as far as, like, the players. But this is a team that went from – you know double digit losses or double digit wins and it's like we've so we've gotten so far away from that a team that really really trying to you know finally get over the hump and and uh, try to get that try to be in a sunbelt you know a championship game it just it's been very very disappointing i know that fau is a good team but are they are they that much better than georgia southern so for me it's georgia southern because i understand the expectations of coming out of state bro i understand how hard and how much pride those guys you know take and, and, and something we ain't you know, talk about, you know, B.J. and Kevin. You know, people talk about replacing the guy. You replace the shot worse. And we don't talk about how much he meant to that offense or to that team. People are, oh, man, no shot worse, no problem. No, you got a big problem because he kept that team afloat. He kept it stable. So, for me, you know, the bad for me is going to be Georgia Southern right now.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the couple bad for me, I will say uh, NC State. Bad, I wouldn't say it's totally ugly, but you are a team that is uh, expected to be better. I don't know if people thought you were ready to contend with Clemson, but you were expected to be better. And you were not. You were not. Going to Starkville, looked like you didn't want to be there and played like it and didn't show up. They're a better team than that and just got taken uh, to the house by Mississippi State there in Starkville. Another bad, and, and again, this will be a little different because they won, but I'll still put it in the bad category. Texas A&M. You go play a Colorado team, and again, maybe this is buffering the case that the, uh, the, the Pac-12 was better than people think. But you go play a Colorado team that's picked down near the bottom of the Pac-12. You are a team that all offseason has been talked about. I think your head coach has even talked about you're ready to compete with Alabama. You want the big dog. And through two weeks, you have not looked great. Again, took a backup quarterback throwing a touchdown pass with about a minute to go for you to beat Colorado. And you put up 10 points. 10 points. Ain't going to get it done against Alabama. Almost I, Again, I only put them in the bad because of what the preseason expectations for this team were going to be, and you struggled week one to kind of find yourself, get going. You finally did beat a lesser opponent. That's great. Neutral site in Denver against Colorado. It was not good for, what, 58 minutes and some change all day long, especially offensively. So the, the bad for me, Texas A&M, even – in a win I feel like they kind of pulled it out rather than actually won that game uh there on on Saturday and now time for everybody's favorite part just the absolute ugly and there was plenty of that as well in college football
1: I mean of course it's Florida State uh your first ever loss to an FCS school to Jacksonville State and again Ben to echo your sentiments uh you know good for good for Jacksonville State but what what was going on 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 the last play I mean what how does that happen that's like you know a crazy clip you see from a high school game or, or something like that. They have to go sixty yards to beat you. It's fourth and ten, and there's seven or eight seconds left, and you're in like a regular defense. You're not in a in a prevent. And Mike Norville came out and said, "Oh well, they still had a timeout, so I guess the thought was, do they throw kind of the fifteen yard crossing route, call the timeout, and then have a you know a play from thirty five yards out to try to win it, or a long field goal to try to tie it?" But Oh, okay. You can deal with that. You can't deal with one of the craziest finishes ever, and them walking you off on a hail mary. I was describing it to somebody the other day who didn't, uh, or yesterday who didn't see it, and I said, "Yeah, it's like they threw a hail mary, but the hail mary was still 15 yards short of the end zone. And then when they caught it, the original defender got brushed off, and the other defender ultimately got blocked. I mean, it was crazy. But I also want to say this: it was not just, it was not just kind of one crazy sequence. I believe the first drive of the game, Florida State got the ball, had like a fourth and short at their own 35 and thought, okay, we'll go ahead and didn't get it. And then if you go back to a couple of offensive drives before uh, before the finish from Jacksonville State, Florida State had a third and goal from the one-yard line, ended up getting zero points. They got stuffed on third and goal on a run and then had an incomplete pass from Milton uh, on fourth down. So Florida State got beat in this game, and there's a – there's a lot of room for improvement. I mean, I know some people have said, hey, you can only go up from here. Florida State, it was a really tough spot. And just that that call defensively at the end of the game, just ugly.
2: Well, it got even uglier after the game. Offensive lineman for Florida State, Brady Scott, decided to, uh, you know, uh, propose to his girlfriend after the game while Jacksonville State is still proposing. I mean, and somebody says something to him about, you know, his timing – a policy the way that he put, and I quote, "Love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive <laughs> at its destination, full of hope." In that case, <laughs> it certainly doesn't care about a loss in a college football game. Brady, let me help you understand something. <laughs> you are only known for where, you, for what you do, and where you do it at. I understand you want to make this a moment. And for those people going back to when uh, Boise State beat Oklahoma. Ian just they won the game. He got <laughs> they won the game and he went up to the cheerleader. Brady, there are certain you only get so many opportunities to make a mark in college. You will be known for this forever. I get it. You know, you like you telling your friends, hey fella, listen, after we win. He's the love of his after, life. Listen, after we what? win, I'ma ask him. They said, well, what if we lose? I'm still gonna ask him, Brady, listen to me. You had all week to do this, and you're gonna wait. You know, to after the game. Look, listen, I understand, you know, he wanted to make it a moment and love does conquer all, you know. I'm just saying. But love don't love nobody either. Isn't that a song? I'm just saying, Brady, oh I, 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 I'm just saying. There are times to do things there are times not to do it. But, look, she, she obviously said yes, but BJ and Kevin, there is a time and a place for everything. Well, you were here to learn football. And you have not. I'm going to ask him right now. Brady, don't do it. You're my heart. Well, and Jacksonville is going, why are they planting the field? <clears throat> well, I mean, at, at,
0: at this point, if you had to wait for a Florida State win to do it, he might not get engaged. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's – do you want to get engaged or you get engaged? do you do I I not want to get engaged? you
1: want to do it? I mean, probably <laughs> just probably just do it on a Wednesday or a Thursday or something like that. I no, mean, I get it. Point. You want
0: to do it on the field. But, like, that literally couldn't have been worse. And I know he's like, hey – She's the love of my life. That's terrific, and I I appreciate that. But, like, it was like the signature loss out of – I know in the last little bit there's been many, but the signature loss in Tallahassee the last couple of years and probably not the best time to do that. But, again, you can always say we got engaged – at Bobby Bowden Field, Doe Campbell Stadium. What was that like? Oh, we just got beat by an FCF school, and they were planning to flag out on uh, uh, the, the Seminole at midfield, but it was a special moment. No, I get it. You know, at the end of the day, they'll remember, love wins over everything, even if the Seminoles didn't win at the end of the day. But that was, that was kind of unique timing, as Ben said. That's the good, the bad, and certainly the ugly. Oh, I didn't say my, uh, the ugly easy. I'd probably do this every week. Kansas football, my goodness. You've, <laughs> I mean, you've lost... Look, seriously, you lost to Coastal Carolina three times in a row. This a week after you tore the goalpost down because you won a game. Not because it was like a great opponent. You won a game and went berserk, and then you lose to Coastal Carolina. You are totally ugly, Jayhawks the end. We'll come back. We've got more to come. We'll look at the whole week that was in the SEC. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here on this Monday, Kevin BJ and Ben here on 3 and Out. We'll chat with Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll talk some SEC football with him uh, the week that was, the week that's uh, set to come, coming up in just a little bit. But what a week it was. Arkansas steals the show, I think, in a big way Uh, Bj and Ben in the SEC this week, beating Texas, soon to be member of the SEC, and really laying it on him—three hundred yards rushing. That is just a straight beatdown. When you talk about physical football and what uh, they were able to do with that—that Texas football program, three hundred yards on the ground, dominating uh, play. And I know Georgia kind of dominated against UAB, but that's certainly the highlight of the weekend from the SEC. Uh, is Arkansas, a team pick near the bottom of your conference, just blasted a top 15 team.
1: Yeah, and it was the welcome to the SEC. Okay, this is what you guys want. Here you go. And Sam Pittman's done a great job. Uh, you know, did a good job last year. Uh, had had Arkansas kind of playing above what the expectations were. And then you couple the opener where they look good with what happened against Texas spectacular around the program is is very real the energy is very real and ran the football really well you had uh over 300 yards rushing I think four touchdowns and then we know all the names defensively I mean Grant Morgan and Bumper Pool and Jalen Catalan were out there making plays uh was really really good to see Arkansas have such a signature win but also just kind of have that atmosphere have that momentum and that's going to be a big big challenge you know, for Georgia Southern. Needless to say, on Saturday. But then you also mentioned Georgia. I mean, Ben, you're right. Stetson Bennett was was good. I mean, he was more than good. He was great. I, you know, deserves his own segment with what he did. I mean, to come in and have 270 yards passing and five touchdowns in in the first half, tying a single game school record for touchdown passes. He was exceptional. And I thought you made a great point earlier when talking about Stetson Bennett. He's always there for Georgia. Georgia needs him. He's there. You know, comes in against Arkansas in uh, week one last year, has the start against Auburn, uh, was was tremendous. And people will say guys are wide open. That's fine. You know, throwing the ball to those guys and setting records in the first half. And, again, uh, did some research on the sports reference database. I believe Stetson Bennett is the first quarterback this millennium with five touchdown passes – on 12 or fewer throws in a single game. So the efficiency was off the charts. Uh, his his attitude, his preparation, his work ethic, his talent was really great to see. And Stetson Bennett finished his high school career at Pierce County at, in the top 10 for career passing yards and career passing touchdowns in the state of Georgia. This young man can play, and he absolutely showed it on Saturday. But you think about the SEC, Arkansas, uh, what a game, and Stetson Bennett, what a performance.
2: Shout out, shout out to Sam Pittman, Arkansas. I mean, when you think about going into this game, Kevin, we were saying, man, giving it, giving, uh, giving NC State, you know, a lot of credit because of what they did week one. But as Sam Pittman understands that for them to try to get to that magic number six, they're gonna have to win some of these out of conference games. But uh, you know, they had, they, they had their way uh, against, against, uh, against NC State, Arkansas, And I, I think, I think sometimes when, when you, when you start talk, when you start talking about, I uh, uh, Kevin and BJ, like you start talking about some of these teams, we forget. A team that we ain't talking about, and I know the competition wasn't that. Auburn is scored 60 points in two weeks. Both, both, both games, they scored 60. That's building confidence moving forward. That's what they're going to need with the schedule only getting rougher with A&M and LSU and Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and um, Auburn. I mean, I'm sorry, with uh, Alabama coming to town. But uh, I give Kentucky a lot of credit. I mean, BJ, I mean, right now, Will Levis is trying to have one of those Drew Lock type years who the air and, and and I know that we don't we never ever we got to get out of this because of who it is and where they do it at no says a minute you know he, he did his thing in Georgia Will Levis is doing his thing right now for a Kentucky team that's got a passing game to go along with the run game to go along with the defense and my Gators they got to go to Kentucky I, I don't like the fact they're gonna have to defend the pass for real but uh you know I know that with Florida right now, you know, it's all about who's going to be the quarterback, which I definitely think is going to be Emory Jones moving forward. But Anthony Richardson, Mr. AR-15 himself, is definitely not making – if my mama had her pick, it would be Anthony Richardson (laughs) right now. But uh, I think the SEC, you know, they didn't – I mean, LSU got back to their winning ways. Colorado State is bad. You know how I know? Because they lost to Vanderbilt. They lost to Vanderbilt this weekend. Vanderbilt got in the win column. So, you know, so the state of Colorado, you know, really didn't, uh, you, know, live up to the, you know, live up to the to the standard this weekend. But, yeah, I think, B.J., I mean, Kevin, it goes back to, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, Stetson Bennett, and uh, what Kentucky is doing right now. But all them Auburn boys are building confidence, scoring over 60 in two straight yeah.
0: weeks. and they got Penn State this week. Uh, speak to that, B.J., we did see a conference game uh, this week, Kentucky and Mizzou. What did we kind of learn there uh, about uh, the Wildcats?
1: I think Ben was spot on. This is a team with balance. This is a team with confidence. This is a team to keep an eye on. And I picked Missouri in that game. I thought Missouri might be a step ahead of Kentucky this season, and that is not the case. Uh, Kentucky has shown that they are a team that should have Florida's attention. They should have Georgia's attention. Right now, with what they're doing, and you mentioned Levis, been uh, has been, you know, really a productive player. Their running back, Chris Rodriguez. I know you're a couple of years removed from uh, Benny Snell setting records for Kentucky. Chris Rodriguez is a superstar at 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 running back. He had over 200 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns against a dominant Missouri defensive line. And oh, by the way, he had a receiving touchdown as well. So you talk about a spotlight game. Mr. Rodriguez went for 200 on the ground and scored four touchdowns. So, Ben, I'm with you, man. I think Kentucky's a team to keep an eye on. Uh, Stoops has done a great job there, not only getting a a couple of teams that have been on a national level, but elevating the status quo of the program, making Kentucky to where year to year. They're a team to be aware of and to watch out for in the SEC. Kentucky, really impressive statement over the weekend.
0: We'll come back. We'll chat more SEC football with Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com. Look at the weekend that was and how we can play it forward here into week three of the college football season. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Always a wild weekend in the SEC, and uh, this coming up, we expect no different. Uh, Going to be a a tremendous weekend of SEC football. Our next guest, good friend of the show from southernpigskin.com, Matt Smith joins us. Matt, welcome. How are you?
4: Hey guys, uh, well, better than Clay Helton, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: wow, wow, yes, uh, absolutely. We'll get to that in just a minute. But in the SEC, uh, Matt, Arkansas game of the week, a team pick near the bottom of the SEC West, just rips a number fifteen team in Texas.
4: Very impressive, and I'm sure I've said it many times over, just how much I love that staff, how much, how well they have those guys prepared every week, even going back to last year. They were clearly overmatched from a talent perspective, but hung in there with Georgia, should have beaten Auburn, should have beaten LSU, beat Mississippi State, beat Ole Miss, just how week in and week out they show up to play there, maximize their abilities. And I thought they did it again, even at a whole different level on Saturday night, dominating line of scrimmage, Kendall Biles putting K.J. Jefferson in winning positions where he could take a quick read, if not, let the ball in and run. And That defense again, just totally overwhelming the Longhorns up front. Something we've seen way too much from Texas. Um, but awesome atmosphere. Great seeing Arkansas fans fired up after the couple seasons they had back like in 2018 and 2019. And I did think they win the game, but no one saw that 40 to 14, 40 to 21 type dominance coming from the Hogs. Uh, but between that and the effort from Mississippi State against NC State, that SEC West right now um, it is loaded. And I don't know what to think if you're ranking teams two to seven. It's kind of all over the map right now.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Mississippi State because, like Arkansas, you know, from the outside looking in, kind of modest at best expectations. And I, for one, Matt, I I thought NC State and you know still can still can bounce back, but I thought NC State was going to be really, really good, a top twenty-five type team. And Mississippi State had a really interesting opener; could have lost that game easily to Louisiana Tech. Uh, what was the difference for them? I know opened the game with a hundred-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, but and how big of a win can that be for Mississippi State moving forward?
4: Yeah, that was my first point. BJ special teams has has probably saved them, certainly sparking their rally against Louisiana Tech with a a long kick return and then the opening kickoff this week. But, yeah, and and for all the praise I give Barrow to Arkansas, I I probably should do the same for Zach Arnett at Mississippi State. Um, That's a tough gig, being a defensive coordinator for Mike Leach, and I thought he figured it out pretty well last year. And uh, for at least the last six quarters or so of football, he's done a really nice job shutting down that NC State running game who, I thought looked really good in week one, has two really good backs. And, uh, you know, I know Dave Doran's history of playing on the road at big games, and I overlooked it and thought NC State would win, and he, Dave Doran, uh, that one pretty hard. So, yeah, I think they're a very interesting couple games the next two weeks, going to Memphis and then LSU for their SEC opener back in Starkville the next two weeks. Uh, We'll learn a lot about the Bulldogs. If they can win at least one of those, three and ones, probably better than I thought they'd be out of September but yeah like I said earlier this SEC West beyond Alabama seeing how LSU and A&M have looked coming back to the pack Auburn will find out on Saturday night it's wild we're going to see a lot of good competitive games in the SEC West this season I'm looking forward to pretty much all of them
2: Matt I mean uh, do you think Emory Jones is feeling the pressure of having a guy like Anthony Richardson playing as well as he does and how dangerous do you think Kentucky going to be with a guy in Will Levis who you know surprise surprise they got a passing game to go with that running game
4: so, yeah, I mean, maybe we needed to pump the brakes a bit on Will Levis after week one, but I thought Kentucky going back to kind of their, their mashed potatoes, their running game this week, uh, really shined. But having Will Levis as that gravy on top of that that they never had in the past with Terry Wilson, with Steven Johnson, whoever Mark Soups has really had under center, but he added that element. They're able to hit at least a couple explosive plays in the passing game. And when you run the ball as well as Kentucky normally does, and as well as they did on Saturday night against Missouri, it's really all you need to possibly elevate this team from the standard seven and five Kentucky teams we tend to see every year to one who I think does have a legit shot to finish second in the SEC East now, winning that big swing game and now they can probably point ahead to being four and zero when Florida comes to town in a couple of weeks. And yet, yeah, as for the Gators, this is a fascinating week for Dan Mullen. I can't wait to see what he does. Hopefully Anthony Richardson is healthy enough to really force him to make that decision. Does he play both guys? Does he stick with the guy who probably still has the locker room in Emory Jones? Or does he go with the guy who's looked better on the field the past two weeks? So a fascinating week for Dan Mullen here. Obviously the ultimate test in this Alabama defense. I don't really think it matters for this week per se. That Florida schedule is about to get really fun coming up in October with Kentucky, with LSU, with Georgia. So if he does think Richardson is the guy going forward, I would not hesitate to have him make his first start against Alabama. It's going to be tough, and I don't think he should be hesitant to do that regardless. Take your lumps. It's probably not going to be a good day, but I think that will pay dividends. If he is the guy, again, coming up with all those big swing games that the Gators have in October, they got to get this figured out. I just don't think the two-quarterback stuff is going to work long term. So let's try and settle this in the next two weeks and get ready to go when that schedule cranks up in October.
0: Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, our guest here on Three and Out. And Matt, Georgia has looked really, really good the first two weeks. Defense has not allowed a score. Uh, their offense gave a pick six last week. So, technically, Georgia's defense, with their pick six against Clemson, outscoring Georgia's offense. Uh, potentially, uh, their po- uh, defense has sc- helped Pornhub Celeste. Where is the ceiling for this Georgia defense? Obviously, giving up nothing every week. I I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I mean, where is this in terms of some of the at least the start all-time defenses we've seen here?
4: Yeah, twenty eleven Alabama. It's I could see it being right up there with them in terms of some of the stats, especially looking at the schedule and some of the quarterbacks they have coming up. You know, not not an overwhelming slate of quarterbacks here on this Georgia schedule the rest of the way. So. They played probably the best one they'll see back in week one and handled him and allowed three points to that Clemson offense. So, yeah, I mean, another dynamic performance. UAB certainly overmatched, but I think by the time we get into November and you want to start making those historical comparisons, Kevin, to me I start with 2011 Alabama. That's the gold standard for me, at least in the last 20 years or so um, since the spread era, at least, of college football. has really taken off what that unit did week in and week out. I think this group is just, in ta- just as talented. I think it'll be just just as productive, and obviously should be an easy win the next couple of weeks here with South Carolina and Vanderbilt, but some decent offenses coming up in October. Um, we'll see with what Auburn puts together. Again, we'll learn a lot more about them this week. As I said, there's at least some sort of explosiveness now at Kentucky. And then, of course, Florida in November, it gets pretty easy as well, but I think October will be the test for if this Georgia defense is holding these teams to 7, 10, 13 points. Uh, then we're talking about a historically great unit, and so far, from what I've seen in 120 minutes, this this group can absolutely be that.
1: Sticking with the dogs, how nice is it for Georgia to have a quarterback like Stetson Bennett, a player like Stetson Bennett on the roster where you need him? Uh, you know, had some good moments last year, but on Saturday, comes out and you know ties a school record in the first half with five touchdown passes.
4: Yeah, I mean, at limited times last year, I thought he played really well. Obviously, the first half it started out well against Alabama played pretty well early against Florida, but when he needed to elevate his game to go toe-to-toe with Kyle Trask and uh, and with Mac Jones, he couldn't quite do it, and that's probably the fear if you're pointing way far down the road. We're three months out from Georgia potentially having to play Alabama, but even if you want to look at Florida as a losable game, between then and, and that, I don't see much of a reason why Georgia can't keep rolling with Bennett. Um, he's a capable quarterback, does have a, a low ceiling compared to J.T. Daniels, but if that, if that injury is going to linger, I would be very careful with Daniels. I would not rush him back, even for games like Arkansas and Auburn. I think we've seen enough from Bennett to know with that defense, he's not going to lose you the game himself, um, and they should be fine there. So, yeah, great day for Bennett. Good to see that performance. They to see that um, with Daniels, a guy who's been injury-plagued throughout his career quite a bit now, before Bennett, who lost his job to stick around and kind of being even the number three guy we thought going into the season. That was a really good performance for him, even if it was against UAB. So good for him. Kudos there.
2: And Matt, I mean, uh, obviously it's great to have a guy like a like a Stetson Bennett, as, as as BJ mentioned, a guy that, you know, he doesn't really make no waves, just goes out there and handles his business. But when you think about what Georgia wants to do postseason wise, I mean JT Daniels was injured, you know, uh, you know, coming into Georgia, obviously he's hit the injury bug again. Is this team or is this defense and team good enough to surround uh, you know, Stetson Bennett if and when he do have to play Alabama or meet Alabama in Atlanta?
4: I'm still skeptical on that. I I just think teams, when they have that much imbalance, and this Georgia offense can evolve if it gets some guys healthy, even with Bennett, but I just worry about teams when there's that much imbalance between the offense and the defense to keep delivering that performance week after week like they'd have to do three times, excuse me, um, presumably against Alabama, and then in two playoff games to accomplish all that. So, again, we haven't necessarily seen it from Daniels. It looks like he had a higher ceiling. He displayed it at times last year. Um, But they're going to need some help from the receivers as well. Running game looks solid. But until we have that full complement of receivers back, doesn't necessarily need George Pickens. um, But just some of the guys have been banged up going back to last year. Once all those guys are healthy, I think we'll have a good good sense of what this offense can be. And for now, I do think they'll need Daniels to be able to win that first national title in 40 years. Uh, But, again, we've seen limited offenses win national titles. They're usually coached by Nick Saban going back to 2011 Alabama um, but I'd be skeptical to to say this streak can end for Georgia with Bennett. I do think Daniels in at arm strength and needing to stretch the field to beat a defense like Alabama's is probably going to be necessary if the dogs can pull it. If the dogs are going to pull this off this year,
0: Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com, joining us here on Three and Out and Matt Auburn, approve It Weekend, two and zero. They've looked the part uh, the first two weeks at Brian Harson, but uh, you go to Happy Valley. Understand it's going to be a whiteout. Uh, they're a night game. Uh, what are you looking for out of Auburn taking that road trip uh, up there to Pennsylvania to play the, uh, the Nittany Lions?
4: Yeah, I mean, pretty much the only team in the league that really hasn't been tested. I think we have a good sense of kind of what everyone else is based on playing a peer team, another Power 5 team. We've just seen Auburn – you know, play two tomato cans, score 60 points, and and I have no idea if they're legit, and could even be the second best team in the West, or if they are kind of the six and six, seven and five team that we thought they were. So yeah, this matchup is really fascinating. I've been pointing it to, pointing to it all summer. Again, what I like about Brian Harrison is that he's not going to come in with his system and just take his lumps and get the right players, or what he wants to do. He's going to take the players he has, and he's going to figure out the best way to use them. That's what he did at Boise. He had to be a run-heavy offense one year. He did that. It was going to be a pass-heavy offense the next year because he had a better quarterback. He did that. And this Albert running game looks really good. With Tank Bigsby, with a young guy like Jarquez Hunter emerging, you have a veteran quarterback in Bo Nix who's played in, in Kyle Field, in Bryant-Denny Stadium, in the Swamp. Um, I don't think he's going to be intimidated. That's as unique of an atmosphere as there is in college football, though, at, night at State College. But, again, I think that experience of Nix, packing your running game on the road, Hard to really comment on the defense, again, not playing anybody yet. But I'm fascinated by that matchup. But I'm kind of bullish on Auburn this week, again, just because of that experience and because of that running game, pretty solid offensive line. I think I can capitalize on uh, some opportunities that Wisconsin failed to do a couple weeks back in their close loss to Penn State. So, yeah, game of the week for me, again, I just don't think Florida can hang around enough for that game to be competitive into the second half. So, must-see game for me this week is going to be that one Saturday night up in Happy Valley
1: matt finally wanted to ask you about your alma mater notre dame uh that that florida state game was tight obviously that win looks a lot different now uh even if there were concerns florida state losing to jacksonville state and then notre dame wins you're two and zero. but you but you have to come back or finish off toledo i mean is this a potential national contender if they put it all together or is notre dame maybe a little overrated at this point
4: yeah i think they're going to be an entertaining product from week to week you know i think they've really stabilized over the past couple of years, particularly defensively under Clark Lee, but this is a much different defense. They're going to be more aggressive, probably get more sacks, get more turnovers, but that comes with allowing a lot more chunk plays, and we've seen them get burnt in each of the last two games. So I just think this team from week to week, it would not surprise me if they they play Cincinnati in a couple weeks, if they win that game by three touchdowns, turn around and go into Blacksburg at night and are just a complete mess and lose that game by three touchdowns. I think that's going to be that kind of year for Notre Dame Again, an entertaining product. I thought last year at times they were pretty boring for the most part, squeaked out a win against Louisville, um, just kind of, you know, would put everything, uh, get an early lead and then kind of shut it down, use their running game. That's not this Notre Dame team. They're going to allow a lot of explosive plays, probably create a lot more explosive plays um, because they can't rely on that running game so much. So that stretch they have coming up here. Uh, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, USC, Carolina. That's just going to be fun football. They're not going to win all of them. They'll probably lose at least one, more likely than not two. Um, still a capable team. I think Who could beat anybody outside of maybe Alabama or Georgia in the, in the country. But, again, if they lose to Purdue this week, that wouldn't shock me either. So, for what Notre Dame has been the last couple years, I think they've moved into a kind of a high-ceiling, low-floor type of team uh, where you just don't know where you're going to get from one week to the next.
0: Matt Smith, Southernpigskin.com. Our guest, Matt, you mentioned it at the beginning. So 30 seconds for uh, we let you go. Clay Helton out at Southern Cal, fired here after two ball games. Should SEC should there be some SEC fan bases worried that uh their head coach might be getting a phone call from the Trojans?
4: Yeah, well, Ole Miss fans are perpetually worried because they're Ole Miss fans and that's just the way they're uh, they're raised to be. So I get the natural worry there. I don't think they have anything to worry about, but you never know, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least a phone call made there. Uh, to Mr. Kiffin, but in terms of realistic candidates, I think Mario Cristobal stirred himself well this weekend, make a call up there. I'm sure James Franklin name name will be mentioned, maybe a fallback, a guy like Jay, Vornette, Jay Norvell who's doing really good things at Nevada. So interesting to see how it all plays out. But if you're talking about Ole Miss fans, I think they'll be okay, but because of who they are in the history of Ole Miss football, I'm sure they're uh, a little bit terrified here today that that is now open.
0: Matt Smith, always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. See you, boys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com. We'll come back with more 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Again, yes, that breaking news. We talked about it with Matt Smith there at the end. Two games into the season and Clay Helton is done uh, at Southern Cal. BJ and uh, Ben, we talked about that. Obviously, Lane Kiffin with ties to that. But uh, where do you think and, and we got about two minutes left or so here. Where do you think Southern Cal is right now in terms of a job, a gig. I know people say, well, it's Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Uh, In terms of getting it done, they've run through their share of coaches the last handful of years. Uh, They are obviously looking up at Stanford who they just lost to. Uh, Obviously Oregon doing what they're doing. I mean, where do you see this Southern Cal job right now that used to be one of the kind of crown jewel gigs of college football?
1: I still think it is. I still think it's a tier one job. And I think there's room for immediate success, right? Like, the Pac-12 has has your Oregon's, and you know you've seen Washington make a run. But for the most part, there's not this three or four team sort of dominance at the top where you don't feel like you can move up, contend for championships. But you're one of the iconic names in the history of college football. That doesn't change because you have a few bad years, or even even a couple of decades. You know, since Pete Carroll, that doesn't that doesn't change. And you know, California high school football is elite. You're right there in L.A. You think about an era of uh, name, image, likeness. I mean, you have a brand as big as just about anybody. I still think it's a top job, and I think they will have, you know, very high-profile candidates.
2: Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, every 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 assistant coach wants to have an opportunity to be a head coach. USC is still one of the premier schools. And Kevin, something you said, you in a Pac-12 that's really trying to figure out who's their alpha dog right now with UCLA playing better and Oregon playing better. I think if you get the right guy in there, they can start winning immediately. Again, going to be interesting to see what happens and who are some
0: of the names that come out for that job. And you think about some of the names that we would normally mention. It's like, would you mention a a Jimbo Fisher and some of those guys, a Brian I mean, these are guys that are already at kind of top-notch jobs already, BJ. So I'm kind of interested to see uh, what it's going to be. Yeah, and Matt mentioned Mario Cristobal at Oregon,
1: you know, has, has had a lot of success, you know, potentially a name to watch there. It seems like James Franklin whenever there's an opening. But I think some of the names Matt mentioned wouldn't surprise me if Cristobal is a top
0: candidate. Again, appreciate Matt Smith joining us here in the final hour of the program. Also, Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI for joining us here on the show as well. If you missed any portion of the show, Coastal.com. Uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, go to our YouTube page and you can get a podcasted version of the show each day. We'll see you tomorrow right here on 3 and Out.